Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking sports locally and nationally. Join the conversation on our social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for another edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He is the co-host. His name is Padawan J. You're lucky I'm here. I don't deal with pawns. <laughs> and also joining me in studio, you know him. He is the senior sports editor of the ODPH. He is your coach. He is my coach. He is the coach. Coach Duffy. I'm sorry for the delay that it took me to get downstairs. I had to use the restroom for cramps. folks we have have a lot to discuss in the land of sports so definitely thank you for joining us and definitely join in the conversation on social media you can find all our accounts and so much more at ochoduroparlayhour.com so definitely head on over and always remember to use the hashtag odph so shall we kick off this episode talking a little football gentlemen sure so let's go into our NFL Week recap, otherwise known as our locks and leaps. So, Pad, kick us off. Yeah, so I'm going to start with my lock. I, Good Lord, I saw this and I could not pass it up. Uh, I chose the Seattle Seahawks to defeat the New York Jets, and holy good God almighty, did they ever. Uh, Russell Wilson, uh, or excuse me, they won by the final score of 40-3. to Guess I should give that first. Uh, Russell Wilson, 21 of 27 for 260 yards passing, four touchdowns, one interception. Sam Darnold, 14 of 26 for 132 yards passing, no touchdowns or interceptions. Coach, your thoughts? Well, we shared this, yes. Uh-huh. So I, I do want to uh, note that real quick. But yeah, I mean, you just knew that after the performance that they had against the Giants at home, that they weren't a going to have back-to-back losses at you know their stadium, and b you knew that they were going to try and put on a show against the down you know on on their luck jet, Jets team, and yep. that's exactly what they did. I mean, this was a game that. They needed to come out and perform well and essentially work out some of the, the rust and kinks that they've had as of late, um, and they did that. I mean, it just goes to show, you know, obviously the Giants were my leap, so we'll talk about the week-to-week, but, you know, it just shows that the uh, the offense for the, the Seahawks is still at an elite level, that the Giants' defense just had a good game plan that, you know, they weren't able to to execute on. The Jets just are a bad football team, so they were able to do what they wanted against them. Yeah, no, this is just absolutely, you know, no disrespect to the Jets, but this just for Seattle seemed like a tune-up game where you see it in college football a lot where you'll get, like, big-name, you know, triple-A, you know, big school, you know, like the Alabamas or, you know, the Ohio States or the Michigans or whatever, that, like, the fir- in the first week of a normal college football season, they'll go and schedule, like, some D3 school you've never even heard of that they're paying, you know, six figures for them to come in and get their ass handed to them. You know, this had all the writings of that, and holy Christ, did it ever live up to it. You know, uh, Seattle definitely got the running game going a bit. Chris Carson, 12 carries for 76 yards, one touchdown. Carlos Hyde, 15 carries for 66 yards, no touchdowns. Uh, and then receiving, was it was pretty sp- well spread around. Nobody had a monster game. DK Metcalf, six catches, 61 yards, one touchdown. Tyler Lockett, five catches, 52 yards, no touchdowns. I mean, but you just look at the box score, seven in the first, uh, what is that, 16 in the second, 14 in the third, and a measly three in the fourth quarter. Alabama would have gave Seattle a better run for the money than the Jets. The Jets, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, we're now back on the tank for Trevor bandwagon. This was an abysmal performance. We knew going to Seattle it was going to be a tough game for oh, the God, Jets yeah. just to even contend. But this is a joke. I mean, the, the, and the thing we got to remember is this 
Seattle defense isn't exactly anything to write home about. They're they're terrible in pass defense. So I figured the you know I I figured the Seattle would cover the spread, but I figured the Jets would score more than three points for the entire game. I figured the Jets might score seventeen. I was giving them that, but they obviously have just completely mailed it in. Sam Darnold cannot figure out this defense. No. Well, I mean the thing is, is like that's the. The thing that's been so puzzling to me, you know, when we did our season preview, you know, you saw they still have Bobby Wagner, you know, they go out and get Jamal Adams, mm-hmm. you know, they have they had a good secondary, you know, so you really thought like defensively they would be better than this. And just, you know, through the first four weeks, the defense was playing serviceably. And then, the you know, once Jamal Adams got hurt and he was out uh, for like that four or five week stint, you know, and, and the defense just fell apart without him there. Right. Um, and now, obviously, he's back, healthy, playing better. Um, I mean, he's their leading pass rusher mm-hmm. right now with safety. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. I mean, they made that point during the Giants game talking about how, how often they rush him off the edge. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, you just don't see that very often from a safety having to, to be their number one blitzer. Right. And you know, Jamal Adams is loving playing in Seattle he has eight and a half sacks for the season which is the most sacks in a single season by a defensive back how crazy is that stat well I mean then they go out and get Carlos Dunlap who was released from Cincinnati mm-hmm. who you know you thought all right you know new team winning environment you know he'll pick up steam because obviously yeah. that's what tends to happen these guys go on waivers they get picked up by winning teams and then all of a sudden they start to produce i mean look at Marcus Golden in in Arizona you know yeah. i mean yeah. was on the giants got traded for a fifth round pick wasn't really producing then goes to Arizona and you know has played pretty well you know especially in this game against the giants so you know you just thought like all right you'd see a better performance from him he has been lackluster um and the defensive line as a whole has been bad it's just that's how bad this Jets football team is like I don't think that people are really (laughs) understanding like this is they're bad this is Detroit Lions 0-16 bad this is I mean this is arguably worse than that I which is which is the most puzzling thing because you know you look at the offense they went out they they drafted two offensive linemen the last two years uh you know they've got uh, decent wide receivers. You know, they've got the Roby, um, they got Perryman, you know, they've got Crowder, they've got some weapons, and just none of them click. Well, it all starts with the top, though. Right. And it, yes, it, that's what our, that's the point I was about to get to. Yeah. It's literally, I mean, this is, it all falls on I am Gase. And I, the, I, I, we say it week in and week out. It's just, it's astonishing that this man still has a job. Oh yeah, no, just because, like you said, it's it's astonishing how bad they are. Because you figured they'd be able to squeak one out at, at some point here. The, yeah, usually you know, right, right set of circumstances, the right, you know, whatever you want to say, that they'd be able to squeak one out. But Christ Almighty, they're. I don't think they're going to win one. No, they're not going to win one. You can definitely tell that they're tanking. I'm sorry. They, no, I mean they the the uh, that that Oakland the Las Vegas game was yeah, theirs for the sure, taking. Sure. Uh, you know, I also obviously the Denver game earlier in the year. You thought there might have been a chance there. Um, just uh, the, the the Patriots game yeah. where they were up. You know, yeah. you thought that had writings on the wall. For the Jets to sneak one out, they always tend to, to do that. Well, they were destined to lose that one. It was my birthday. Sure. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, now you're looking at the schedule. They got the Rams, the Browns, and the Patriots again. I mean, that Week 17 matchup with the Patriots might be interesting from the standpoint of who knows what the Patriots will be looking to do. I, I know from 
Sports Center was talking a couple weeks and maybe like a week or two ago, and they were looking at like you know the percent chance of the Jets winning, potentially having a chance to win the game, and the only one that I think was decent and it's a very loose use of the term decent was the Cleveland game where I think at the time they had like a 31 percent chance to win the Cleveland game and that's because let's face it you don't know which Cleveland team is going to show up well I mean even if it's a bad Cleveland team they still beat this Jets team yeah the Jets find a way to lose and like we said it starts from the top and works his way out Adam Gase the fact he still got a job is mind-blowing but I think that they have just fully bought in on the seasons of wash well I mean it's not it's just you know I watched a bad Giants team under McAdoo that year when they went into San Francisco and we did the show and I was like I was I was like they're not gonna fire him there's no way that you know the Giants don't operate this they they were going into the bye week that week but I was like fully fledged on you know that that this isn't the way that that organization operates. Mm-hmm. They're gonna ride out the year. McAdoo's gonna be you know let go in the off season, and they fired him on the trip back from San Francisco. So it's like anybody can be fired, but I don't understand what you know. You can have anybody be the head coach, yeah. and still lose games. Like I don't believe the notion that they are tanking on purpose. I know the Greg Williams thing looks bad. However, there is history that shows he does do that type of thing before. So, like, you can't chalk that up to Greg Williams was in cahoots no, no, with no. the tank. Well, no, I, I don't chalk that up with that. I just look at the consistency of effort that they put in putting out week in and week out. Yeah, but mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think it's. I, I mean, you got to think like they. They're off. Their defense has zero drafted players. Right. They're no. all undrafted free agents. That you know aren't rookies, but they weren't drafted going on to this Jets team. You know what I mean? So like, you know, they've traded Leonard Williams, they traded Jamal Adams. What do they keep getting back for these guys? Picks. What do you know? What do they use these picks for? Not for defensive players. So their defense is literally just shambles. It's a complete shell, which I agree with. But looking at them week in and week out, the effort isn't there. There's no motivation. There's no self pride in this team. I'm just doing. I mean, you can't put any effort when you just don't. I mean, at some point, you got to have talent. Oh, I I agree. But I'm saying for the offense, even. Right. This is where I'm kind of more focused on with that. The offense, though, at some point, you know, yeah, all right, Darnold is, you know, question mark on him. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, you've got a 38 year old running back who you know you had one of arguably the top 5 running backs in the backfield prior to the season in Le'Veon Bell mm-hmm. who you couldn't use properly you didn't know what the hell to do with him you didn't know what to do with him that's your offensive gifted genius coach who did not know how to use you know Le'Veon Bell and now all right to play devil's advocate, did Le'Veon Bell come in with the best of intentions to the Jets? No. One could argue no. You yeah. know, he came in overweight, what have you, whatever. But, like, a lot of players come in overweight, oh, especially yeah. from the running back um, standpoint. And as the season goes on, they, they fine-tune and they get in shape. But they still didn't use him right. Yeah. You know, you had, you know, decent wide receivers. You let Robbie Anderson go. You know, you still have Crowder. You know, but do you go out and get anybody to help your, you know, young quarterback? No. You know, so it's like... But this is Gase's thing. This is what he should be able to put Darnold in position where he can be successful, and he's not. And and he's a head coach that you know for all the offense and oh he's a great offensive coach and this and that that he came in with. You would figure it's easy for him to go get a receiver because the receiver should go. Hey, this is an offensive minded guy. I'm going to catch a lot of balls or even a running back if they weren't if they didn't get Le'Veon Bell. Should go. Yo, I'm going to get a lot of touches with this team. But now you look at it, nobody's going to want to go near that team. Well, now the problem is like. Fuck. I mean, they are up Shit's Creek without paddle. No, they're going to need somebody to come in there and completely tear the foundation down and rebuild. Because if you let Trevor Lawrence touch 
or Adam Gase touch Trevor Lawrence. Oh, he's gone. I'm gonna I'm mm-hmm. gonna lose my mind because that is gonna be somebody that's gonna be a lot of fun to watch at the next level. Mm-hmm. That you are gonna let one of the obviously just dumbest head coaches in all of football touch, and you're gonna ruin him. That's why I don't think he does. I think that this team, you can definitely tell by the effort, like I was saying, mm-hmm. that they are just completely on autopilot and the ship is going down. Like there's just it's sinking in the ocean. They have nothing on both sides of the ball that is really exciting to anybody. So if the only challenge about coming to this team is how can I re- completely rebuild this foundation? But you have to have somebody that's going to be patient and be willing to trust the process and create a culture there. Well, it's like coming to the Knicks. Oh, absolutely. I, it's just it's a it's a it's a going to be a complete tear down to retool to rebuild. Completely, because you can tell by the efforts they've been putting forward. And like I say, I'm excluding the Greg Williams game, but. Every time they're coming out, they're looking flat on both sides of the ball. Mm-hmm. And for the offense, it falls on Adam Gase. For the defense, you're right. They don't have players. But that's their own doing. So your offense needs to do something to kind of balance it out. They can't because they're not good. No, I mean, they're, they're sinking like the Titanic. And I'd say that, but I feel like that'd be an insult to the Titanic. Yeah, because they're completely looking like they're tanking. I mean, this is just the eye test to me. It looks yeah. like they're, t- they're tanking. Just You can see the effort. And no matter what the offensive quote-unquote guru is doing, it ain't sticking. I mean, Christ, they only had 12 first downs for the entire game. Yeah, and Seattle is not the Legion of Boom like it used no, to be. No, God, no. They have a good defense. It's not great, but the fact that you can only put up three points. Well, and, and as bad as Seattle's, like I said, as bad as Seattle's passing defense is, that it's you know one of the worst, if not the worst, passing defenses in the league, you're only able to put up a paltry 116 yards passing. Yeah. Now, what, granted, Sam Darnold ain't exactly a Drew Brees, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson. You know, he's not going to sling the ball deep all day and whoever is open. And his, and his receivers aren't good. But you would still think with a, de- a passing defense that is as bad as Seattle's is, that they'd be able to scrounge up something or that they'd lean on it. You would figure they'd be able to do something, but obviously they can't. And they're going to go 0-16. And then mm-hmm. if Adam Gase has a job by the end of that week. If, I, if he has a job by Monday after their final game, I'll be astonished. There's no way he can. And for if you're a Jets fan, you need to start planning on your future because, and especially the thing with that, because Coach mentioned the final their final game of the season is uh, against the Patriots. It that is in New England on the third of January, so there's a very good possibility there could be a blizzard going on. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, but that on the flip side of that, it'll be interesting to see where, where the Patriots are too. Oh yeah, because I mean, the, do they play Cam? Do they play one of the other quarterbacks to see? I mean. Obviously, the quarterback position is a position to need, along with wide receiver in New yeah. England. Oh yeah. So, do you evaluate what you have in Stidham and let him play, or do you play Cam going out to close the year? Knowing Belichick, he's going to play Cam. Yeah, he, he's going to play Cam, especially since you look. I know Cam's only on a one-year deal, but you look at the other prospects out there, and none of them are looking entirely enticing. Well, I mean, what do you? Whoa, whoa easy. This is a deep ass draft for quarterbacks. If everybody leaves that could leave, this is a Deep ass class. Well, and and Patriots are currently sitting 16th in the draft right now. Yeah, you might yeah. not get the first round Justin Fields or or Trevor Lawrence, but I mean, there's got there's Ian Book who will be there, who would definitely be a New England style guy, who I guarantee you Josh McDaniel would thrive with. And you know, then you got the kid from uh, uh, the Grant. What's the, the the North Dakota kid? Yep. You got oh, him, yeah. who everybody loves. The Utah kid. You know, so there's a lot of the Trask. You know, from Florida yeah, could Trask go. Comes out, yeah. You know, I mean, so there's a lot of guys who this draft class might be super deep. 
if everybody goes. He could be super deep, but I'm just thinking Belichick's way is I'm going to go with my starting team and I'm going to go with the best chance to win. That's why I said, like, yeah. I understand what your point is, too. Yeah. And, and the logical thing is, yeah, go see what you got and then reevaluate your talent, but this is Belichick. Sure. When he was 16-0, and 0, he still played his starters on meaningless games. Yeah, yeah so, but yeah. that game, I mean, that game when he did that was for a reason. He wanted to put his team out, his best team out there because he wanted to keep them peaked. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. But like I say, I I just fully trust that Belichick is going to come out there ready to win, and I think for the Jets, no matter what, I think the Patriots wouldn't get a fair shake of who they had because I think at that point they're laying down. And this is just my optic opinion for it. So we'll have to kind of wait and see when we get to that point in the season. But for Seattle, they roll on with a much-needed win. The Jets are the Jets. Mm-hmm. Enough said there. Yep. Next up, Pat. Uh, for my leap, I chose the Las Vegas Raiders to defeat the Indianapolis Colts. However, I was not right. Uh, the Colts won by the final score of 44-27. to Phillip Rivers, 19-28 of for 244 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Derek Carr, 31-45, of 316 yards passing, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Coach, your thoughts? I mean, uh, the Raiders obviously went out and fired their defensive coordinator immediately after this yeah. game. Yeah, that didn't What's wait. crazy is that Gruden, you know, family friends uh, with this guy for over 10-plus years, coached on his brother's staff, coached on with him in Tampa Bay. So obviously a long-term connection there. So, uh, you know, very interesting move to say the least. Uh, the Raiders' defense has obviously been, you know, not great all year towards suspect. the bottom of the league. Yeah. And, I mean, this is a big win for the Colts that needed it, especially the fact that Tennessee, on the flip side on the East Coast, you know, went out and beat Jacksonville pretty handedly. So, I mean, this was as close to a must-win for the Colts as they're going to probably get, and they got it. Pat? Yeah, no, definitely a big win for the Colts. Keeps them in the race for the playoffs. It makes things a little more interesting for the Raiders. Uh, Colts are currently sitting at the number six seed in the uh, AFC playoff picture. Raiders currently sitting at number nine. You know, good game from Nelson Aguilar, i got to say. Five catches, 100 yards, one touchdown. You know, on, on the flip side, though, you look, great game for Jonathan Taylor rushing for Indianapolis. 20 carries, 150 yards, and two touchdowns. Oof. The one notable thing before this game happened, though, was whatever was going on with Josh Jacobs. And during this, he came out, he was said to be active. Then he went on his Instagram and said he wasn't active. Oh. And then magically before game time, he became active. Well, this can, this goes back to the troll that when he didn't score that touchdown in Cleveland, you know, the guy went on Twitter and, and DM'd him privately, you know, messaged him and was like, uh, but my fantasy score. And then Josh Jacobs was like, I don't give a shit about your fantasy team. Mm-hmm. That's what this goes back to is because he was questionable. He knew that he could take advantage of this and mess with, you know, all these fantasy players. So, I mean, there was intent. Like, this wasn't this wasn't a, a Raider, you know, back and forth. This was him trolling those people. See, yeah, okay, well, thank you for the clarification. Yeah. Like, when I first read it, I was like, wait, what is going yeah, on Yeah, you thought it was confusion. No, 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 He was – there was 100% commitment that if he could go, he could go. The Raiders organization was – you know, knew it. He did what he did on his own. And, you know, I mean, obviously – had some implications for some fantasy owners, but I mean, he hasn't been playing well anyway. So I mean, yeah. really, if you played him against the Colts defense, who's arguably one of the best rush defenses in the NFL, then you're not a very good fantasy player because he shouldn't have been in your lineup to begin with. I agree because that's what I was going to go with too. Is like no matter what was going on, the tempo wasn't right with him going in, but he didn't have a great breakout game mm-hmm. and going against that stout Colts defense, which nobody is talking about. Don't right. Break. That I, they I love they that could, mantra. Yeah, they completely exposed. Vegas, which was so wild to see. And then to flip out the ball on the offensive side, 
T.Y. Hilton, thank you for coming back to the league. Thank you for my fantasy team. Yeah, 86 yards and two touchdowns. Oh, <laughs> T.Y.'s always been around. Yeah, but you know now he, <laughs> he's finally like a... Well, mer- Phil like, Rivers can't throw the ball more than 15 yards, so it's difficult to get it's difficult to get T.Y. Hilton the ball when he's only running facts. streaks. Is true, but he is now like finally getting back into the stat race here, and you can definitely tell that he's putting up some numbers. So Phillip is finally making the connection with him. Yeah, like Michael Thomas, he recalibrated. He slant, 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 slant. Exactly. Say so we're 14 weeks in, and and uh, T.Y. Hilton finally has his second highest receiving yard game of the season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, like this move to Phil Rivers, we all, you know, it was, it was a Band-Aid. It was a bit, yeah. I oh, mean, yeah. this was a sidestep. We all thought Jacoby Brissett was a fine quarterback and serviceable and obviously has a better arm, but, you know, they felt like Phillip Rivers gave them a better probably game management style quarterback than Jacoby does, and Who's to say that they're wrong? Because now they're sitting what seven and four or something like that. You know, nine and four, nine and, nine and four, four. You know, in control of their own destiny as long as they continue to win. Nine and four and in the sixth seed. Yeah, I mean, so I guess it was the right move because last year they did not have this record. No, they definitely didn't. And I think Phillips Rivers, like you talked about, brings stability to that yeah. position, and that's something they need, especially with a young running back in Jonathan Taylor. Your wide receiver core has been hit and miss, even though now he's finally figured a way to hit T. Y. Hilton with the ball, they now are picking up some steam to balance that offense out with the defense. Uh-huh. And they're going to be one of those teams that when they get in the playoffs, it's not a matter of if now, it's when. Yeah. They're going to be a scary first-round matchup for whoever they face. I could definitely yep. I could definitely see them you know, screwing around a little bit and, and playing spoiler for some team that figures they're going to be easy win. Yeah, it depends on who they're going to be because if they're currently ranked sixth, they would face the third seed, and I think that's actually Buffalo at this time. That is currently Buffalo. So that is not going to be an easy game for the Bills, and for Indianapolis, it's definitely a winnable game too. Sure. This is something that we have to watch with this team because with the Colts now, they're obviously chasing Tennessee. They're right behind them. They could definitely sneak out the AFC South title. If oh, that, they, if that, they play t- that South is up for grabs. Yeah, it's completely wide open. So they're going to be showing up week in and week out. The Raiders, though... Uh, has to be deflating for this loss. Yeah, obviously, if they if they lost to the Jets, I think that would have been backbreaking. But they should have came out and just completely turned the ball upside down and put up about thirty points themselves. Lackluster performance on their offensive side. That's all you can really take away from this. Their defense, we've said, has been suspect all year, and we got what we paid for with them. That we knew it was going to be a little struggle, and they definitely did not balance out. I know Gruden's now making the big switch, uh-huh. defensive coordinators, but for that offense. I mean, the fact that Nelson Aguilar got 100 yards. Yo. I I mean, it is what it is. But when your mainstay weapons, the yeah. ones that show up week in and week out, are not even cracking 30 yards, uh-huh. I I think there's a little bit of a problem and a little bit of disconnect. Yeah, this this AFC South is going to be real interesting to watch because I looked up the schedules for Indianapolis and Tennessee. Indianapolis, the last three weeks of the season, is at home against Houston, travels to Pittsburgh, and then at home against Jacksonville to close out the year. And then Tennessee is at home against Detroit, Travels up to Green Bay to play the Packers and then closes out uh, on the road at Houston. It's going to be a fun race to watch there in the AFC South. So definitely a lot of building blocks to go on. That being said, another race that we're definitely keeping our eye on is the NFC East. The thoughts, views, and opinions of coming are that of Coach Duffy and do not necessarily reflect that of the ODPH. Listener discretion is advised. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't have that. 
today. I'm just I'm just prepping it just in case. Ted, go ahead, give him the two. I get. I took the Giants. Yep, uh, coach took the Giants to defeat the Cardinals, which did, did not happen. Uh, the Cardinals won by the final score of twenty six to seven. Kyler Murray twenty four of thirty five for two hundred and forty four yards passing, one touchdown, no interceptions. Danny Dimes eleven of twenty one for one hundred and twenty seven yards passing, zero touchdowns and zero interceptions. In in a season where Joe Judge has essentially been flawless as a first year head coach this was his first hiccup and I want to preface this by saying no I don't think Colt McCoy gives the Giants a better chance at winning games no I do not think Colt McCoy should be the star of the rest of the way no I do not think that they should bench Daniel Jones but but this game should not have had Daniel Jones play I'll tell you what. He, should, I'll tell you what should happen. You should have double covered DeAndre Hopkins. Holy fuck! Nah, he. I mean, he. Listen, he scorches the Giants. That's just nine catches, 136 yards, and but no touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, first off, the Dan Jones thing. He was hurt. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. He, if oh yeah. He can't run. He should yeah. have played. He shouldn't have played because you limit his ability to be effective on the field when he is unable to run, and when you don't have to have that the defensive line play coy and have to spy on him or contain him and they're able to just rush him mm-hmm. he does not have the pocket presence enough right now which for saying that for a second year full-time starting quarterback is like mind-boggling but he just he doesn't have it so he got strip sack twice and i mean that's just that's a bad performance i mm-hmm. mean not to mention the fact the the cardinal secondary although it is an elite secondary mm-hmm. the giants wide receivers got nowhere no, no one was open. No, uh, Golden Tate t- two targets, one catch. Sterling Shepard five targets, three catches. Darius Slayton eight targets, three catches. Evan Ingram uh, four targets, two catches. Wayne Gallman four catches, targets, three catches, and then Caden Smith one target, one catch. Yeah, I mean you take away the ability for that read option that had made the Giants so dangerous with Daniel Jones being able to use his legs. So, and I mean you go to the flip side of it when they played Seattle. You know Colt McCoy, although he didn't play a Pro Bowl level game, was serviceable. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's it, you know that was just a bad decision by Joe Judge to think that his starting quarterback was ready to go. He should have made the, the strong opinion and said, "Dan, we're going to sit you one more week. We're going to go with Colt. He give us a better chance of winning this game because he's healthy. You're not, yeah. and go from there." Yeah. Um. You know, on the flip side of it, defensively, you know, the Giants' defense played great. I mean, let you, you talk about average starting position for the uh, Cardinals in the first half mm-hmm. was the Giants. 43-yard line. Oof. The 43. So that means the giant, the Giants' defense was already with their backs up against the goal line the entire possession, and they held them to start the game to six points, to the first two quarters, six points. Right. Then, <laughs> I mean, as Jonathan Vilma so elegantly explained, watching the game, my wife turned to her. This was the fourth time the Giants had played defense, starting within that, you know, the that side of the fifty. I said, if the, Gi- the Giants are going to give up a touchdown in this possession. She goes, how do you know that? I go, they've played defense too much. Too much with no break. They are going to break. They they can't. Oh, they, yeah. It's inevitable. This is the fourth time within the red zone. There's no way they're not going to score. So they score. I said, that was the backbreaker. If they would have stopped them, all the momentum would have been with the Giants because it would have been like, we've been in the goal line three straight times, four straight times, and you have not scored. Like, we're you kick field goals. Ben, don't break. We've got momentum. We can stop you. We've got you dialed in. They give up that touchdown. Then the next drive, Don, Jonathan Vilma on the, the color commentary. Oh, if this, you know, this would be the Giants' worst possession, you know, the defensively, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, John, 
you play in the NFL and you are you like this broadcast is terrible right now because they already gave up a touchdown. They already broke, you know? Yeah. Now they need to try and just salvage what they can. They gave they had a great possession. Kyler Murray throws something off his back foot to the back of the end zone. Just a a, a please Lord, somebody catch this on my team. Uh Logan Ryan playing his own, lets the tight end get behind him. Dan Smith, touchdown. That's what that was it. I knew right then, fifteen nothing. I was like, this is this is game. The Giants are toast. Or this was twenty nothing. I was like, this is toast. Um it's a tough loss, man. It's really, yes. I mean, it's frustrating from the standpoint of this team had everything on their side. They controlled their own destiny. They have the tiebreaker against Washington. You know, they just go to Seattle and beat the second best team or third best team uh, in the NFC, arguably Super Bowl favorite, um, Seattle Seahawks. And then you come back home and you have this team that you should have had up against the ropes, you know, playing very bad. I mean, Arizona's trending down right now. The Giants were trending up. And you just you have nothing offensively. This is not. I mean, twenty six to seven. I know people are like, "Oh, the Giants' defense." No, no, no. The defense played on their freaking heads this entire game. This is not the defense's fault. It's one hundred percent offense. Uh, the Giants' defense right now, to me, is one of the best defenses in the NFL. What they're doing, uh, James Bradbury. My God, dude, what a pickup! I killed them in mm-hmm. that pickup during they the offseason. I was like, "What?" I mean, what are you going to do with a thirty-plus-year-old cornerback? He's playing like a pro bowler, shutdown corner, one of the best corners in the NFL right now. I know DeAndre Hopkins had 130 yards, but that was in the game plan. Let him feed, shut everybody else down. Sure. Their problem was they were not able to contain Kyler Murray, and Kyler Murray found a little bit of his swagger. Yeah, he got 47 yards running. And that's that, that I mean, there was a couple times where the Giants had them on a third and six, a third and seven, and he was able to, as Jonathan Vilma, the second play, as, as he called it. He was able to extend plays with his feet, get outside the pocket, break contain, run for the first town, and fuck, it just killed him because Russell Wilson didn't do that. Right. And this is what I was telling him last week. Russell Wilson and Kyler Kyler Murray are two totally different quarterbacks. They play similarly, but Russell only uses his feet when he needs to, Mm. which he did not do against the Giants. Russell, uh, I'm I'm sorry, Kyler Murray was like, no, 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 I'm going to run. You know, I totally agree with you. When going back to Daniel Jones' point, if he wasn't at 100%, they should have played him because it's not like a lot of other positions in football where if you're not at 100%, you're maybe at 75%, 65%. There are guys around you that can kind of back you up and help you out. If you're an offensive tackle and you're not at 100%, there's, you know, four or five other guys on that line that can, you know, kind of cover up for you, take the load off. You know, the same can be said on defense, you know, wide receivers and running backs. There are other guys to help you out. That's not the case with quarterbacks because when you're on the field, you're all by your lonesome. You're on the middle of an island with nobody to help you because, yeah, you've got guys around to help catch the ball and do this and do that. But if you can't, you know, do your reads and and look and throw as far as you normally do or throw as hard as you normally do or or maybe scramble around it like you normally do, it's just not going to work. You know, the game starts and stops with you. So if. Daniel Jones wasn't at 100%. They shouldn't have played him. And and like you said, it's Joe Judge's first hiccup, but it's his first time at a major coaching position, so the, this was bound to happen at some point. The minute the Colt McCoy wasn't behind center, it was over. The, well, the, the, well, Daniel Jones wasn't right. That's why I'm going. Right, he, but he the problem was he practiced well. Yeah, but – that, that, He got blinded by that. That's the problem. That I, you're touching upon. Uh, Joe Judge made a mistake, a very costly one for this season – in the sense of that deflated a lot of momentum and their first place charge for the NFC East. This came back to haunt them very badly. 
and I understand that he was going with his gut, and this is something he saw in practice and he was sold on. But this is where he should use better judgment and said, "Think little long term." Yeah, I mean, short long term. No, no, yeah. He, I mean, one hundred percent. This was a game where, you know, he's not Tom Brady. Right. You know, like Tom Brady with one leg is still better than arguably seventy five percent. You know, Drew Brees with one arm is still better than a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL. You know, I mean, Daniel Jones just if he can't run, he is. He's a sitting duck. Yeah, and it was just it was tough to watch because you could just tell that he wasn't one hundred percent. And he and he might have practiced well, but the thing I think Joe's got to remember is that like practice and game are a little different. They're two different. They're day two and night. D- day and night because when you're in practice, yeah, you're practicing for the game and you're game prepping and all that. But the guys on the defensive side aren't exactly looking to take heads off like no. like you get in a real game situation. And especially in this situation where the Cardinals are scrapping to try to get that final playoff spot, mm-hmm. they were coming definitely with a, a mission to really play spoiler here. Not so much spoil in the sense of, oh, the Giants were heavily favored, but they knew what we were getting with the Giants, and the Giants are better than their record shows. And for Car- the Cardinals, they definitely needed that win because now they're still in technically second place in the NFC West because the Rams and Seahawks are now 9-4. and four. Mm-hmm. But them being now 7-6, and six, they need a little luck to get in that playoffs. This was a win they needed to do. Kyler Murray looked like Kyler Murray because he actually got over 40 yards rushing. If he's doing that, they're winning that game because he's doing the little things that are helping them. This is a situation that, for the Giants, backbreaking. Yes. Plain and simple. Can they still win the NFC East? Anything is possible. Well, I mean, they've got, you know, obviously Cleveland coming up now that got flexed to Sunday night. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we talked about this last week on the show that the the, the Giants had a harder route, you know, to close out the year with games against Cleveland, Baltimore, and the Cowboys. Um, Pat, I hope you're pulling up Washington since I just named off the Giants uh, schedule. But but the Giants, um, you know, have a tough road in that game against Cleveland. You know, who knows what Cleveland you're going to get. Yep. And you got it? Yeah, so, so Washington uh, this coming Sunday is at home against Seattle. Next week they're at home against Carolina. And then the final week of the season they travel to Philly and play the Eagles. So, I mean, with the way that they're trending defensively, you know, they're playing very – I mean, the San Francisco had – you know, could have won that game. Yeah. But, I mean, Washington's offense could not move the ball against their defense. We'll say I Alec, mean, Alex Smith, 57 yards passing. Yeah, the, all the touchdowns were scored defensively or special teams. So, like – you know, San Francisco puts one in the end zone, and now we're talking about a different game. It's a whole so, different ball game. Yeah, there. so, I mean, and the Giant, you know, the Cleveland game, is it winnable? You know, trying to be, like, you know, a biased sports podcaster guy, I'm trying to think, like, no, you know, the Giant, you know, Cleveland's going to win this game, but, like, my, my Giants fandom comes through, and I'm like, why, why, why can't they? I mean, Cleveland did look good against um, – uh, Baltimore. 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 However, the Giants' defense is better than Baltimore's defense, and the Giants' run defense is better than Baltimore's run defense. I maintain you don't know who's going to show up with Cleveland. You sure. look. You look at this game Sunday, where we're not for a boneheaded defensive game plan and a, and a safety when they really didn't need to give one up. Could have won the game against Baltimore, but at the same token, this is the same team that put up like thirty to seven or whatever the hell it was on Tennessee by halftime, and then almost blew it. Right. So, the, the, the one thing, and I, I want to get to the Baltimore-Cleveland game after we get done with my picks. Cleveland 
might come in there with a little too much swagger for Sunday night. Mm, could be. And I think that you have a definite shot with the Giants to play spoiler. Well, I mean, it's not even spoiler because the Giants right now are fighting for their lives. I mean, the thing that makes me feel optimistic is I, I read today and it kind of reminded me, I mean, Blake Martinez played Kevin Stefanski, you know, hundreds of times. Mm-hmm. Well, not hundreds, but like ten, eight, you know, eight times. They're familiar with yeah, each other. Yeah, they're familiar with each other from his time in Minnesota and Blake in Green Bay. So he has a familiarity to that offense. Uh, you know, uh, uh, the head coach, Kitchum, mm-hmm. Ketchum. Freddie Kitchens. Freddie Kitchens. Kitchens. <laughs> it is Kitchens. Uh, you know, is the Giants defensive line assistant, line assessment coach? I don't even know. But he's coach, there. Yeah. yeah, so he's there. So he has a familiarity to the players. You know, he might not know the ins and outs of what they're scheming, but he knows the players. So that will help. You know, so there's a, a level of a familiarity between the two, well, between the Giants team that I hope, you know, hedges its way to the Giants. Uh, according to ESPN's Football Power Index, currently Cleveland is has a 52.7% chance to win the game. Uh, and then the money line is currently Cleveland by four. So you're saying there's a chance. And if you're in case you're curious, the over-under is 45.5. There is a definite chance, and I will break it down when, the under. when we talk about the Baltimore-Cleveland game. But first things first, we got to talk about Tennessee and Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. And Derrick Henry had a day. Thank he you. sure did. Thank you for my fantasy team. Uh, yeah, so Tennessee won the game by the final score of 31-10. to 10. Ryan Tannehill, 19-24 of 24 for 212 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Gardner Minshew, the second, uh, 18-31 of 31 for 178 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. Uh, Mike Glennon, 13-23 of 23 for 85 yards, zero touchdowns, one interception. And then Derek, goddamn Henry, 26 carries, 215 yards, two touchdowns. Coach, really anything to take away from this game? I mean, what can you say other than Tennessee's peaking right now? Mm-hmm. I mean, I just – I know I've, I've said it a lot, but, like, I mean, it's just you talk about teams and, and trending, you know, and right now, yeah, Tennessee had a, a few bumps in the road along the way, but as you approach week 15, week 16, week 17, you want to be trending upwards, and that's exactly what's going on with this Tennessee Titans team right now. They are 100% <laughs> – yeah, no, Tennessee's looking real good. They, they appear to be falling back on what worked for them in the playoffs last year, feed Derrick Henry everything. Uh, but they are also getting Ryan Tannehill involved, and it's looking very good. I mean, A.J. Brown, holy shit, seven catches, 112 yards, one touchdown. So they appear to have everything going for them. Yeah, this is just completely Tennessee football. Jacksonville is trending in the wrong direction. I mean, just the fact that we saw Minshew come back in and – I, he wasn't going to do anything against this team. Tennessee is coming in with a mission because they know that they have to beat the Colts. Uh-huh. They have to maintain a level of consistency. They got it because if, once you get Tennessee's running game going, chances are they're going to win that game. Yeah. And the fact that Derrick Henry had a monster start to that first half, it was it was over by halftime. He Derrick Henry single-handedly broke the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh-huh. The fact that Ryan Tannehill got 212 yards a passing and two touchdowns was just a cherry on that Sunday. Tennessee going upward, Jacksonville downhill. The tank for Trevor Race is still going on between them and the Jets. They're hoping for a miracle there. But if not, Fields coming out of Ohio State wouldn't be the worst addition to Jacksonville either. So just putting that out there. But let us get to my leap, though. Sure. We pad? Sure. Uh, you chose the Buffalo Bills to defeat the Pittsburgh Steelers, which they did by the final score of 26-15. to 15. Josh Allen, 24-43 of 43 for 238 yards passing, two touchdowns, one interception. Ben Roethlisberger, 21-37 of 37 for 187 yards passing, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Coach, I'll let you get some thoughts in. I quick. mean, you want to talk about a team trending down right now as Pittsburgh. Uh-huh. I don't know what the hell 
is going on with them. I mean, defensively, you know, T.J. Watt is still playing very well. Minka Fitzpatrick is back there playing very good defense in the secondary. You know, they obviously have two shutdown corners. So it's perplexing, uh, you know, their inability to get somebody, you know, stop somebody on defense. And offensively, I mean – Shit, what can you say? It's it's the Big Ben show right now, which is a problem. They got to get James Conner mm-hmm. the ball somehow. You know, Tony Snell. You know, you talk about these elite running backs, you know, whether it's Saquon or, you know, Christian McCaffrey. You know, behind them are these guys that just want to run the goddamn ball and they want to run hard because they know they have to. So, yeah. all right, yeah. if James Conner's not running at elite level right now, whether he's hurt or the holes aren't opening for him at a level, you know, a level he likes – Get Tony Snell the ball and just yeah. let him plow people. Let him get that the uh, the the Dada spinny wheel mouthpiece going and let him just make that thing spin because he's breathing so hard. But and the Bills offensively, whew, yikes! Stephon Diggs ten catches, one hundred and thirty yards, one touchdown, sizzling right now. Yeah. yeah, no Pittsburgh. You know, it's just they got to figure something out. I think offensively, you know, to use a baseball term, they're slumping in early September. If we're using baseball terms, which is not what you want to see. There's, you know, this would be one thing if they were kind of slumping and having some issues scoring some points. It's like the early part, middle part of the season. But the fact they're doing it, it's week fourteen. Not a good sign, and I think defensively what's hurting him is the loss of Bud Dupree because I know they threw up the stat uh, during the broadcast, and I forget what the number is, but you know between him and T.J. Watt, they had monster numbers. And I was talking with a friend, admittedly, you know, should know, is a Pittsburgh fan, so slight bias, I think. But he made a point, and I think it made a really good point. Pittsburgh, when they had Bud Dupree and T.J. Watt on opposite sides, it was working gold for them because you look at how things were going. Who the hell do you block or double team on that? Because you double team one side, let's just say you double team Bud Dupree, all of a sudden you got TJ Watt coming on the other side. All right, well shit, we got a double team TJ Watt. Well then you got Bud Dupree on the other coming on the other side. Now without Bud Dupree there, because he tore his ACL, he's out for the rest of the year. There's no longer a question for any defenses of who you got to block looking for a pass rush. We know who's pass rushing. It's that guy. Yeah. And and they haven't figured out what to do and they haven't patched it yet. Pittsburgh is banged up, mm-hmm. and they're limping into the playoffs. Which is not good. It is not good. The uh, series of unfortunate events here is just injuries are now haunting them. Their running game is non-existent, and this is not Steeler football. That's what I'm no, saying. No. This, this is just completely look, uh, abysmal, if I can use that word. Ben Roethlisberger is the catalyst for your offense, but you're asking a lot for him at his age. And I know he's still got some zip on the ball. I was talking with some Steeler fans online about this. But he is trying to do too much because he doesn't have that run game to balance him out. On the flip side, though, Buffalo got a big win. Uh-huh. Take nothing away from that. Josh Allen looked like the real deal after a very rough start to that game. Very defensively back and forth, but the Bills could not get the offense going. Albeit, though, somebody up in Buffalo must be listening to this podcast because they actually made second-half adjustments. Wait, did, wait, did they put that in their uh, their lexicon of terms? They might have to, and I expect to get some compensation from Bill's Mafia about this, and you're welcome. You'll get some free tables. I, I, I don't mind free tables. I can definitely use them. Because we finally looked like we made adjustments on the defensive side of the ball, and we got a couple of plays that went our way, but we also made Pittsburgh bend but not break us. Mm-hmm. So when we do that, it gives us a lot of time on the field to definitely get something going. Josh Allen definitely started picking apart the Pittsburgh secondary. And my question, I guess, which was most puzzling about this is, Stefan Diggs was left open 
wide open uh-huh. for a good majority of that second half. Well, Pittsburgh played a lot of zone yeah. coming out of the second half, which, I mean, it's, you know, the team, you know, the Giants did that the week before, you know, to kind of um, to take away DK Metcalf. Uh, for the Seattle, you know what they do. You know it's 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 blanket coverage. You know mm-hmm. you got the guy underneath and you got the guy over the top. However, when you have elite, you know, and DK is not there yet. So when you have an elite guy, when Pittsburgh came out and started run zone the second half, yeah, like Stephon Diggs is and DeAndre Hopkins with Arizona, they find the soft spots in the zones. I mean that is why, for as great as the Tampa two defense is don't hear about it anymore because right. these elite wide receivers are able to just dissect it because they are able to, you know, find the spots in the zone that are soft, whether it's the corner routes or the hitches uh, where they, you know, they don't fully hitch. They kind of sit um, those type of things that, that the uh, Buffalo bills were able to do, especially in the second half. Um, you can't, you just, you got it. You know, Pittsburgh then should have probably gone, man. I mean, that's the thing that boggles me is that you've got really good corners. Yeah. And Mika Fitzpatrick over the top. Why not just play man? Yeah. It was puzzling to me watching because as a Bills fan, I'm excited, but I kept going, like, how is Diggs that wide open? Well, that's why. Yeah. But it was just something that you figured that Pittsburgh of all teams would make adjustments. You'd right. Think. Well, and I mean, that's what works against these off. That's what works for these offenses like the Bills. They don't mind, you know. Diggs getting 15 yards down the field and being open versus vertically stretching the field and making sure that, you know, like Tampa Bay, well, we got to throw, you know, Mike Evans streak routes only, you know, it's no find the soft spots in the zone. Just take what the defense is giving you. And eventually you're going to work your way into the end zone. Yeah. And the bills definitely were taking apart that they were definitely making a case that they should be considered in the elite of the AFC. And I tell you what, I like the way they're gelling right now. They definitely need to get one more win, though, and I hope it's this Saturday against Denver because I know we got the Patriots and then Dolphins lined up after. Mm -hmm. I definitely would feel more comfortable getting that win against Denver, and then I think they lock up the AFC East. Yeah. And if they can just ice that early, I think I'd be very, very more comfortable with it because obviously going into those final two weeks as rivalry games, you know all bets are off. And for Miami, who is still lurking, even though I think they're outside looking in, that's still going to be a game that is going to be circled to watch. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. So that being said, I definitely want to give a shout-out to Kansas City because I said last week if you had let the Dolphins beat you, I was going to tear you apart on the show. You came through in the clutch. Well, they almost did. They almost did. (laughs) And the only thing Miami had to celebrate was the fact that their undefeated season is still there 40 years ago. But in the words of uh, Miss Janet Jackson, what have you done for me lately? Hmm. I mean, listen, I know know you've got this this rivalry going right now, but I mean, you you got to give it to Miami. I mean, they were down, what, 20-plus? And fought and clawed their way back into this game against the defending Super Bowl champions? See, I don't think it's the fact they fought and, and clawed back. I think Kansas City took the foot off the gas. <laughs> I'll stick to my guns oh about this Oh, my one. God. Ever, All right. Ever the Bills fan. Can't even give yeah. them one. Oh, I'm not, I'm not going to give them one because what Kansas City did is they did what Kansas City usually does. They're down early, then they hit the gas, and it's like boom, 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 boom. They put up, what, 28 points I mean, unanswered? That's weird because I don't remember many games where they've been down and all of a sudden kicked on the gas. I 
I remember them being up for most of the games and then no. letting garbage time touchdowns. No, playoffs, I was thinking last year. <laughs> oh, that, that one game against Tennessee but when they, they were down? They, oh, they, right, right. They've had a few that they've done, a few right. in, the, in the course of the Patrick Mahomes era. What happened in that game against the uh, the Tampa Bay? What, how would that play out? Well, I can't win them all. <laughs> but for majority of them. But, I mean, they were they were up big for most of the game, They right? were up big, yeah. Oh, no, they, right. Yeah, that's the point. They were up big, and then they <laughs> just kind of let Miami sneak back in and get some garbage time points. Oh. And then, of course, the interception that Patrick Mahomes threw, the one guy from Miami did the one-handed grab. I oh, love yeah. His quote after the game was great, though, that he's got this love-hate with the hard rock. Yes. Yeah. That was fantastic. Yes, but they wound up pulling off the win, but Kansas City did not look like Kansas City old in this one either, no. though. I mean, Grant, they got up to the, the big lead, and then they said they just kind of took the foot off the gas a little bit. I think it was more Miami playing better. Well, Miami's defense played better. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, their their defense, their offense is still trash. I'm still not a fan of Oh, how do you feel about Tua? Tua, I'm still not impressed with. I'm All sorry. Right. Like, I, he is not impressed with that performance. I think that Tua has been an adequate quarterback, but I don't think that I, – I will still say this. I think that they should, should still have had – Ryan Fitzpatrick in there when they took him out. Like, granted, well, he got the 300 yards. I mean, this is the second time he's gotten a 300-yard game since he's been started. Something like I, that, yeah. I think, I think Tua has been arguably not a great rookie quarterback. But, I mean, I, I don't know if I, de- I see, you know, Canton. You know, uh, yeah, instilled not, in him, but it's a good it's a good rookie season. But admittedly, yeah. the sample size to compare it to you know to look at the numbers and the stats, it's not that big to look at. Sure. Yeah, it's not that big. Like I say, he is a good quarterback from the time he's been put in. But I think for the anointing that he's been getting, I think it's a little too much too soon. Well, I can say that what they can do with that Houston first-rounder plus theirs is go out and get some goddamn talent. Well, as soon as they go get some talent, depending on what they're going to wind up doing with it, yeah, I mean, they can definitely try doing something. But like I said, their offense doesn't scare me. And maybe trash was a little too strong. But I am not impressed by it. I'm just saying, wait. I mean, you know that they're going to target Smith out of Alabama. Oh yeah. I mean, they're 100. There's already the the uh, connection there, mm-hmm. the chemistry for him and Tua. You know that they'll. So that will be him, Devonte Parker on the outside with that other wide receiver sprinkled in. Mm-hmm. I can't remember his name. Oh yeah. Well, Gasecki's their uh, yeah, tight the, end. The tight end, Gasecki, yeah. the tight end too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Miami might be uh, trouble for you guys. They might be, but I got to see something out of that running game, and I haven't seen that yet. Well, maybe they'll get a running back next year. I haven't come up to New England. Half of our team is from Alabama. Exactly. Like I say, I I think their offense is overrated. I think that might be a better word than trash. Okay. All right. But but I'll say – they still haven't shown me enough to really write them as real contenders because I think they're just well, contenders. Yeah. Yeah. But, no, but for every way that was anointing them to go into the playoffs, it's like – I mean, that's just poppycock. Yeah. That's silliness. I saw the percentage of them getting into the league. It was, what, 35% to get to the playoffs? They're, now it's they're, less they're, say they're currently sitting at the seven seed, and that's because they win the tiebreaker over Baltimore based on best win percentage in conference games. But yeah. then it was looking at the head-to-head schedules. Uh, Baltimore more or less has a cakewalk into their – Hey, f- you, they play the Giants – that's like, not a goddamn cakewalk. I'm pulling up. It'll be, these, it'll be a nice good schedules. slice of cake. Yeah, they play ja- they play Jacksonville Giants and then Cincinnati, so that's two easy wins in there. Uh, not the Giants. I wasn't saying the Giants. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. And then and then, yeah. Miami, and, and then Miami to close out the year has New England, the Raiders, and Buffalo. So the odds are in Baltimore's favor, and definitely they have something to build off of the momentum of Monday night oh. until they lose to the Giants. Well, we have to wait and see. But this past Monday night's football game, though. Holy cow. 
Pad, you got the stats up for that. Yeah, so Baltimore ended up winning a real wild game by a final score of 47-42. to 42. Lamar Jackson, 11 of 17 for 163 yards passing, one touchdown, no interceptions. One uh, bathroom break. One bathroom break. Yeah. He had nine carries for 124 yards rushing, uh, two touchdowns, averaged 13.8 yards per carry. Uh, and then on the flip side, Baker Mayfield, 28 of 47 for 343 yards passing, two touchdowns, one interception. So the takeaways from this game... Vegas made out with a lot of money. Yeah, Vegas did very well. This How that point uh, flipped there was absolutely crazy. But the takeaways that I had from this game is, one, Baltimore can still play. Everybody was writing off or dead, but they're still in this. Uh-huh. And Baker Mayfield looked like the kid that we've been expecting him to be since he got drafted number one. Sure. He had played probably his best football game, I think, as a pro. Kareem Hunt, 77 yards catching. Uh, Donovan uh, Peoples-Jones, 74 yards catching. Rashard Higgins, 68 yards catching. Jarvis Landy, Landry, 52 yards catching. David Njoku, 45 yards catching. Nick Chubb, 21. Yeah. Well, what I'll say is, and what I like that this Cleveland offense is doing now, and they talked about it on the broadcast, is, and you saw it, play action. Oh, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I've talked about this with Eli. It's just play action, just... It opens up the the offense to the ability of, you know, the defense, especially when you have a good run game, has to respect that so they can't focus on a pass rush because they have to stay home a little bit to stop the run. Cleveland's run game is ridiculously strong. I mean, Kareem Hunt, Chubbs, very yeah. dangerous one-two oh, yeah. down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, one, so when you get them going, you get them running downhill, and I saw it. I mean, some of Chubb's runs were, like, so efficient. Just the way he was able to to patiently gain, you know, advantage in the hole and everything. So then you talk, now you're going to run play action. It's very dangerous. It's very dangerous, but it's something that teams are going to have to game plan for. Mm-hmm. And for Cleveland, this was a good loss, if I can say that, because Baltimore has dominated them since they basically came back into the league. Mm-hmm. They've given the Ravens some fits from time to time, but this was the one that obviously after they played each other at the beginning of the year, this was a big statement win. Oh, yeah. Or a big statement game that they almost pulled off. I mean, obviously a couple plays here and there did cost them. But for Baker, I would take this with a big uh, boost of confidence that for a team that has given you fits, you actually look like the real deal here. 340 yards against them, uh-huh. nothing to take away from. Yeah. And for them moving forward, it's the direction they need to go in for the playoffs. Uh-huh. Like I say, it's a good loss, which I, is weird to say. But for Cleveland, they needed this because I think that now they're going to go on a little bit of a tear, and then who knows where they're going to wind up in the playoffs. And for Baltimore, this is a big momentum win as well and definitely keeps them in that playoff talk. And I, I completely foresee them and take my hatred for Miami out of the equation. I fully see them taking that seven spot. I could see it. And I think their strength, the schedules are going to play themselves out. Especially with Cleveland, their final three games are uh, at home. Uh, they travel to New York to play the Giants. They stay in New York the week after to play the Jets. And then they close out the year against Pittsburgh. Yeah, which are all winnable well, so, games. I'll say so. Obviously, the Jets game, you know, they, sh- they should, in theory, win. Yeah, we, the, want, we want to talk about trash offenses. Yeah. Yeah, the, I'm the sorry. Gi- <laughs> That's the benchmark. Giants game, you know, you, who knows? Giants could sneak that one out. And then Pittsburgh. It's hard to say. Well, the one thing with the the Giants game, like I was touching upon, if Baker is f- still full of himself and thinks he can turn on the magic without doing the work, 
then I think the Giants are going to pull the upset on him. Mm-hmm. I really do. Mm-hmm. It just depends on how he handles this week and how he's getting a lot of praise throughout the media. He's got to stay grounded. He's got to keep his head grounded, and his teammates have to keep him level-headed too because if they start getting to the Cleveland of old where he gets you know all amped up over hearing how great he was, then he's going to have a bad game, and then they could come in there and think they're overconfident against a Giants team that is a lot better than the records is. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Coach, I gave him credit. Thank you. But – is still going to be something we're going to have to watch. I mean, that game's going to be circled. And then if Cleveland comes out like they did against Baltimore, it's going to be an early night for the Giants. But it all depends on how Baker is going to show up. If he starts doing a little too much flash, a little too much you know, pomp and circumstance there, they're going to be in trouble. If he comes out and plays real good football and just keeps handing the ball off to Chubb and Hunt, he'll be okay. Oh, yeah. And so will the, so will the uh, Browns moving forward. So many storylines coming out of the NFL this week, but definitely hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What is your takeaway from this week's uh, games of the NFL? Week 14 is in the books. Let's discuss, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Need a podcast that prepares you for the end of the world? Apocalypse Now is the one for you. Hi, I'm Joanna Van Thine, actor, comedian, and filmmaker. Apocalypse Now is a podcast that asks if we are living at the beginning of the end. Join me every week as I talk with interesting people and decide if we're all doomed. <laughs> Listen wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Brought to you by WannaRub. Hey, this is Vince, the Common Man, CTOI, local MMA fighter, telling you to keep on listening to the ODPH, the 607's up-and-coming newest podcast. Back for the second segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And time to talk a little basketball. Basketball is my favorite sport. Now, there was a big uh, contract extension that happened right before we hit air. Carmelo signed a lifetime contract with the Knicks. Oh, wait, sorry. I'd be okay with that. But uh, but no, no, that's not the one we're referring to. So, Pad, you got the numbers there? Yeah, so uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo signed a max, uh, excuse me, super max extension with the Milwaukee Bucks to the tune of five years. $228 $228 million. Uh, should note there is an opt-out after four years. Essentially drying up the 2021 free agent class. Yeah, so let yeah, me I pull mean, that up. I mean, it's not good. Paul George was slated to be a free agent in that class. Uh, Giannis, uh, Devin Booker had already re-upped his deal. He was set to be a free agent at that point, too. Uh, I mean, it's not it's not looking promising. So it's the not- Knicks' dreams of having all this cap space... Are down all, the toilet are all for nothing but the only thing that i i'm fully trusting leon rose mm-hmm. and what he's been able to do there well it's like i said two weeks ago at some point you're gonna have to flip these accumulate these assets for picks yeah you can't keep the philadelphia route inevitably plays itself out you have to you the the 70s the the boston celtic blueprint for what they did around paul pierce that's the blueprint mm-hmm. accumulate these first round picks have a budding star whether you think it's RJ or Obi or whatever, and trade for solid players to be around them. 
and that's what they have to do with these first well, round picks. They can always bring back Tim Hardaway Jr. He's a free agent next year. Pass. <laughs> yeah, we'll pass on that one. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you, though. The free agency market that everybody was clearing cap out room is just yeah. dried up very quickly. And I think for Milwaukee, I'm more puzzled that Giannis stayed. Not taking anything away from him because he's always been a loyal guy to the Bucks. But I guess where I, I'm coming from with this is what talent do you have up there or you think you're going to get up there to substantiate a run to the finals every year? Well, I mean, I'll I'll tell you what they did so far, which was adding Drew Holiday, yeah. which was tremendous. And, I mean, he still has his right-hand man, Chris Middleton, who I think was huge too. I mean, he Chris Middleton is very uh, an unsung type player that, you know, played well when Giannis went down in that series against Miami that I think, honestly – you know, given the fact that now Drew Holiday will p- be running the point and they'll be able to use Dante DiVincenzo uh, to start instead of come off the bench, who's a very good shooter, and another ball handler to add in that lineup, I mean, I think they're going to be all right. The thing I should know with Drew Holiday is I looked it up. He, they do, in fact, have Drew Holiday. He, uh, he's in the midst of a five-year, $131.8 million contract. However, uh, the 2021 season uh, is a player option. And then after in 2022, he's an unrestricted free agent. Well, that's just uh, well, they traded a lot to get yeah, him. They, so. they, oh, yeah, they they mortgaged the farm so, to so get him. So they got him, but then they're going to have to try and keep him. Well, that's going to be the big issue because for teams, especially in small market, you really got to get the right people there to really mm-hmm. take you to those playoff runs deep. And you, and you got to be able to entice players to come. When let's face it, it's you know not always a sexy draw. Like oh hey, you want to come? You know, and again, no disrespect to Milwaukee or, not. or the or the state of Wisconsin. It's a wonderful state, you know. But it, it's got to be hard at times to try and sell to free agents. Like hey, you want to come to you know play in Milwaukee where it's fucking freeze your ass off cold a good portion of this season. Well, well, that's where I think the interesting thing with free agency in the NBA comes from because. You know, you talk about the lure and the and the uh, desire to want to be in these locations. You know, a Miami that attracted so many free agents for sure, so long. Sure. You know, what's Miami's biggest attraction level? Winning and the environment around mm-hmm. it. You know, but then you look at the flip side of it. When Boston had their peak run and was able to go out and get whatever veteran they wanted at the veteran minimum, what what was their attraction? Right. Winning. Yeah. You know. So it's like. What are the what what is the the generational player of today? What mm. are they looking for? And the interesting dichotomy that's happening now is these guys who are stars that are in these second tier markets, the Giannis's, the Jamal Murray's. Um, you know, I'm just trying to think of people that are yeah. in those type of markets. You know, uh, uh, Damian Lillard. You know, oh, yeah. in Portland. Yeah. You know, the the interesting thing that we are finding right now in the NBA is these guys are willing to sign their max extensions mm-hmm. when before LeBron. You know, Dwayne Wade flirted with leaving Miami. Chris yeah. Bosh obviously left Toronto. Yeah. You know, Ray Allen, uh, KG. You know, you you look at these guys who were willing to leave, you know, the teams that they were with previously and take less money to go other places. And it's all of a sudden, it's flipped. Now it's, no, we want, you know, we're going to sign these Supermax deals. Because, I mean, Giannis could have signed somewhere else for $4 million, I sure. think, like, a hundred and seventy-eight or hundred and eighty-eight million. Sure. If he had gone somewhere else in free agency, mm-hmm. but that extra year and an extra hundred million, you know, now the NBA through their collective bargaining agreements have given the advantage back to these 
uh, smaller market tier teams that are willing to shell out the money because before, especially in the, it was unheard of. of. Guys were, they were gone. They were out the door. No, no, thank you. I'll take whatever money I can get free agency. But now that they've given this ability for your, you know, your team with bird rights to sign you for a fifth year, if you're an all-star, an MVP, you get an extra X amount of money that your team can offer you and nobody else. So it's like, it's made it attractive now to stay in these second tiers. And I think it makes sense business-wise for the front office with Milwaukee to keep him there because let's let's remember Giannis is a two-time, you know, he's a back-to-back NBA MVP. He's only uh, 26 years. He just turned 26 years old just a couple of days ago. He's in his seventh season in the NBA, so he's got a lot of years ahead of him. You know, and, it, and you so you now have a very dominant, very good offensively player signed to your team for the next five years if he doesn't opt out after four. That all of a sudden, and you look at they finished first in the East, record of fifty six and seventeen. Toronto was second, fifty three and nineteen. That you look at that East, not much has changed, and not much has gone. Not many players, at least to my eyes, have gone. Holy shit, this has kind of usurped the status quo of the Eastern Conference. All of a sudden, this team that signed, you know, insert super huge big name player, and I'm not even factoring in the team in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. you know, but somebody coming East and going, holy shit, this is going to totally usurp the East. This Eastern Conference is still Milwaukee's to lose. You know, I think they're going to be able to pull it out this upcoming season. But all of a sudden now with Giannis and what they got going on there, you can look at guys and go, yeah, we're a smaller market team, but we're going to be able to win the Eastern Conference. I think it's very smart that he stayed. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm very happy to see somebody show loyalty to a small market team. Sure. Because we have not seen that in a while in the NBA. Let's be honest about this. At least LeBron in the early days. Maybe? Well, you take a look at when the super team started forming. And, yeah. every, and everybody needed to go somewhere else and yeah. needed to play with everybody else because yeah. they couldn't win on their own. Yeah. Facts. This is not anything I'm just making up. So now you have somebody that wants to stay in a small market. And like I say, I just find it puzzling, but I also find it a little bit refreshing, too. Oh, yeah. That somebody wants to stay there and win there and prove, hey, we can win here, we can win anywhere. That we don't need to all go to Brooklyn yeah, and but form up. I don't think it's that. I think he saw, A, the loyalty, and B, saw the extra... You know, eighty million dollars. Well, I mean, that does help. I mean, but at, at, at <laughs> you point, don't say. But at that point, it's like, well, how much more millions do you need? To, you know, that factors out winning. Like, I no, mean, no, but I, agree. Yeah. I see your point. I see but your point. look at baseball, where everything's level. Yeah. You know, you can go anywhere you want in free agency. Yeah. You okay? Well, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Listen, if I'm an all star. The Houston Astros can sign me for the same amount of money that the New York Yankees, the Brewers, the Royals, that they can all sign me for, right? They it, might not have it, but yeah. they could if they can't. Right. Well, the, the point I was going to counter with that is yeah. they don't have a salary cap that's anywhere near right. anybody else. It's, Understandable. It's wide open game. Right. But in the NBA, you have up till the threshold for the luxury tax. So if you're willing to take and go over that, as Golden State has for the last five, six years to retain their players, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, you're able to exceed that and take that salary tax and, and do all that stuff, then you know, you're able to offer this money. The 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 thing that is interesting though is if you wiped away the ability for Milwaukee, you know, your hometown team, your, you know, five plus years with that team for them to offer you an additional year, mm-hmm. you know, so if the Knicks could offer the same money to Giannis as somebody else, would they go? Would he, you know, would they would they flirt with the idea of staying in Milwaukee at all? Yeah. That's the point that I want to know, and that's what I find so interesting because five years ago they would have, no. You no, know, yeah, five like five years ago, but not. Five, yeah, it would have been whoever, who, Milwaukee, no, no, no. Who's offering me what? Miami? Okay, you know, I'm going. 
but Miami, now no state income tax. Yeah, but now things are, are really starting to flip where these guys are willing to fight and stay on these clubs that have been faithful and loyal to them that they're that they're getting rewarded with the extra cash. Right, and I think in Giannis's case, like I said, it's a case of, yeah, the dollars help. They make, they make a big difference. But I also think it's a case that he looks at the team, he looks at the East and goes, you know what, I stay here, I get the money, and I also got a real damn good chance to win the East you know, and also possibly win the championship. Well, as long as you keep a nucleus around him that can contend. I mean, right, I, but that's, that's the thing. But that's going to be the argument because if you want to take it back to when LeBron was in Cleveland, he couldn't get anybody to come there to play with. Right, Facts. But, but that was at a time, well, it was a different time period, I'll give you right. that. But I mean, to that point, though, he like, yes and no, because he was able to get talent. It's just they they weren't able to find the right pieces that fit what LeBron's game was until he went to Miami, where Spolstra really and Pat Riley, you know, to his credit too, really got the pieces around LeBron with, you know, um, Ray Allen and and shooters. You know, so, that's, so Anderson Verichal wasn't the right piece. Well, no, because Verichal traveled with him to Miami. Yeah. It's just the thing with oh, LeBron yeah, was yeah. is everybody just thought that he could be on the court with anybody and and play well. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't till he got to Miami where guy, you know, he started to get paired with shooters that people started to really see. All right, if you spread the floor and let LeBron create and get guys open, that's what LeBron needs to be. So. I mean, it's just interesting because Cleveland could have got those pieces in. They just didn't see it. You know what I mean? But Milwaukee right now, they went all out. You know, they went and said, all right, Gordon, you know, Gordon Hayward leaves. Boston, you know, obviously has their free agency coming up here soon with uh, Tatum and and, um, uh, Brown. uh, Oh, my God. Jalen Brown. Yeah, Jalen Brown. I had it. Um, So they have their day ahead of them. Uh, the 76ers have their inevitable back and forth between their superstars. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have a rising um, Miami team that you have to compete with. And what did they need to do that? Another scoring piece. And that's what Drew Holiday will do for you. It's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. And I, I mean, just... I know we're foot Milwaukee heavy right now, but I mean, they are the perennial class of the East. Oh, they, yeah. they are, but when they get in those playoffs, it's it's a they, something goes off. And just it doesn't fit through. Now, as I'm going to say, is it going to happen this year? I don't know. I mean, you're talking Eric Bledsoe versus Drew, Drew Holiday. Holiday yeah. You know, and that's the argument that that's why they went out and got him. They went out and got a three-time All-Star, uh, you know, a 20-plus scoring type guy. You know, and to Eric Bledsoe's credit, he played very well. Yeah. But is he going to go out there consistently every single night and get you 20-plus points? No. No, I mean, they upgraded by getting Holiday. Yeah. I mean, that's just... It's facts. Look at stats. I mean, enough said. But it's just going to be a matter of, okay, can they really contend in the East every year with other teams and really can, can make this run worth Giannis' while? I mean, it is debatable. Yeah. You, I mean, for right now, they are looking like the creme de la creme in the East. Mm-hmm. No question of that. So for the short term, it makes sense. Long term, we'll I don't say. know. We'll have to well, see Well, yeah, that. we're going to have to see where – because inevitably, I mean, Chris uh, Chris Middleton's 28, tw- turning 29 this season. Mm-hmm. Drew Holiday, I believe, will also be 27, 28, turning yeah, you, 29. Yeah, them in their late 20s. Yeah, they're both in their late 20s with the you know, 25, 26-year-old Giannis. So the window is tight. Yeah, the window is now. Yeah. So you have to win now because other teams in the East are starting to pick up a little slack. Albeit, though, I know everybody's eyes are on Brooklyn right now. And not we for the right reasons. That. All right, sure. so let's, yeah, let's, let's bring up Brooklyn. All right, so there was, uh, I guess, a Kyrie Irving interview citing. Sure. How, D- uh, dude, listen, this team is in 
a pl- implosion waiting to happen. Yeah. I don't know what has, uh, you know, and I mean, I don't, I don't know him, so I don't want to, you know, but whatever is going on with his, his mental status right now, Kyrie, like I just, I don't know if it's a character he's trying to portray or if this is just him finally opening up because when he was at Duke, he was Dude, never like this. He was a humble, quiet, go about his business, win games. You know, obviously, I know he got hurt that season, so you know it really hurt that Duke team. But he came back uh, in the the tournament and was like, "Hey, these guys have been playing well without me. I just want to try and fit in." Yeah. Was willing to come off the bench. You know, like he he you know he was willing to defer. Gets in the league, drafted by Cleveland. And, you know, LeBron leaves. It's his team. And all of a sudden, LeBron comes back. He's paired with him. And then that whole di- that, 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 that not dynamic fell apart. Gets traded to Boston. Says he's going to re-up. You know, wants to be here. And then leaves. Well, Christ, he told the kid at the children's hospital when he was with Cleveland where the kid who, you know, was sick with something. I forget what. Kid looks him in the eye and goes, are you going to leave us like LeBron did? And he goes, no, I'm never going to leave you. And then makes the comment about LeBron during the offseason about never having a shooter that could take the final shot like he could. Then when he was asked about his new head coach and Steve Nash, saying, oh, well, you know, it might not be Steve Nash to be the head coach that night. It might be me holding the clipboard. It might be KD holding the clipboard. could be, uh, you know, Stoudemire. You know, and it was like, such, you know, and then the, the comments about not talking to the media because he doesn't want to talk to... Uh, people beneath him. Yeah, well, he, he went so far as to say uh, when this was when he was asked about not speaking to reporters prior to Monday. Uh, "Quote: The focus is on what's going on here, on in here, and I wanted to make sure that was clear. No distractions. Nothing about dispelling anything. Nothing about going back and forth. Bro, you quote. are an effing distraction, though. Yeah, your comments yeah. are a distraction. Yeah, because all of a sudden, interviews with your teammates aren't going to be. Hey, what did you think? <laughs> well, what did you think about the run that the, that the I don't know pick a pick a team. You know, the Memphis Grizzlies went on in the th- third quarter. What happened there? It's not going to be about that. It's going to be, hey, why isn't why isn't Kyrie talking to us today? Why is why is he skipping out on, on his media interviews? Yeah, yeah, he's been notorious for skipping out on the media. If anybody is not too familiar with it, and then he's just decided to start speaking after their first preseason game, and this is where you're starting to see cracks in the foundation. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that we I haven't already seen it here watching Kyrie, but now in Brooklyn where the media is a lot more intense, right? Yeah, then I think he is realizing. And everything he's mentioning is now getting brought back in, and he's trying to make it say like, "Oh, you know, it's it's never been like this. I meant it like that." Yeah, and yeah. I mean, when he's making comments about how he does not speak to pawns, yeah, and now the it's coming back up to him. That's just that's backpedaling. Yeah, yeah. You know? He even went uh, went on to say, "quote It's really just about how I felt about the mistreatment of certain artists when we get on." get to a certain platform of when we make decisions within our lives to have full control and ownership. We want to perform in a secure and protected space, close quote. I just, I don't get it. You know, I mean, I, I'm shocked that KD would want to put up with that as somebody as, you know, just focused as he is um, to have that hovering around him. I mean, think about how him and Draymond didn't get along just because Draymond was so, you know, loud and boisterous. Mm-hmm. What do you now? You got this going on uh, here. You know, I'm, I'm going out on a limb. Katie's going to put up with him for as long as for as little. As, I mean, as, li- as, as little as he has to. I mean, where it's insofar as meetings and practice and game time and maybe even a little post game. But mark my words, 
you know, obviously right now with pandemic going on, can't happen, but should things get to a better place, mark my words, you will not see them going out to like some restaurant or bistro in the city or in Brooklyn or any one of the other boroughs in New York City. You will not see them on Instagram or Twitter like, oh, hey, I just snapped a pick. You know, I was out to dinner and I ran into KD and Kyrie. You're not going to see that. What you're going to see is a nice PR move. And everybody's going to look like the honeymoon is still in effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But let us break this down. KD could not beat the Warriors, so he joined them. So he left Russell Westbrook, and obviously that turned very sour sure. very quickly. Sure. You go to Golden State, you win your chips, and then you can't play with anybody there. Mm-hmm. So then you got to be the big fish in a big pond in New York. And I know it's Brooklyn, but still the biggest media market in the entire world. Mm-hmm. Then you are purposely teaming up with somebody you know has the track record of blowing up his own teams. And especially as, as, you know, friendly as the NBA is. And as, you know, as much as they talk behind the scenes that we don't know, any issues that are behind the scenes that we, that the public don't know about Kyrie, you know Durant knows. Oh, Durant has to know unless he's just completely saying he can definitely steer him in the right direction. Because I'm sorry, if Kyrie is still making comments about LeBron to this day. Yeah. And saying how LeBron was not the player that we all thought he was, paraphrasing a little bit. I'm sorry. You guys couldn't make it work. You guys could have had a dynasty built in Cleveland if you guys could just actually work together. Well, mm-hmm. if that LeBron would have stayed. It, but, I mean, who knows? Because at that point, it was like it was already getting toxic and everybody's just wearing out their welcome. So when Kyrie goes to Boston, oh, well, it's his team. He's the face of the franchise. Yeah. I'm never leaving. Bye. And you you can't handle being in that market. And you completely destroy that team. And then they're playing better without you. So then you decide to go, okay, I'm going to team up with KD. We're going to go to Brooklyn. We're going to rewrite everything. We're picking our head coach and Steve Nash, who's never coached before. Like, everything about this is just reeking of disaster. And let alone you cut an interview like that where you're talking about Oh, I didn't say this. You're backpedaling about this. You're mentioning about, oh, everything's looking great, blah, blah, blah. But when it's going against stuff they've already said. It's not making any sense. I mean, this is how it's reading to me. Yeah, I mean, I just to me, it's, you know, for a first-time head coach and Steve Nash, too, you know, not exactly the ideal situation I think you would want to get yourself into. No. Um, because it's just, it's poison in there. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, uh-huh. you let, you know, you, you, dis, you have a disagreement while you're not even playing. With Kenny Atkinson, who you know led this team uh, to a playoff run, uh, D'Angelo Russell was at an All Star level. Spencer Dinwiddie was at an All Star All Star level. Jared Allen was starting to come on. Um, you know, now you let him go. Um, it'll be I just it's going to be a very long year, I think, in Brooklyn, especially if I think if they come out slow to start, which will be difficult with KD because he's just such an elite talent that losing games is going to be difficult to do. But if they do, it'll be very interesting. So their first six games, because I pulled up the schedule, they open the season uh, at home against Golden State. Then they play Boston, Charlotte, Memphis, and then Atlanta twice. I should note, in the first month of the season, they play eight games on national television between TNT, ESPN slash ABC, and then NBA TV. Uh, We should also note that, for those of you not familiar, their games are also broadcasted on the Yes Network, uh, which is on in three states in the Northeast, that being New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. Right. So there's an there's a lot of eyes on this team, and it's not exactly an instance where you can slink away and the and the public at large won't know, except for highlights on insert your favorite sports show. 
It's going to be a, a time bomb waiting to tick. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, with everything I, I give up. it to maybe the, between quarter and halfway through the season, and it's going to blow up on oh, it's It's going to because just those egos involved. I mean, and that's what I say. With this interview that he gave, and he's already backtracking about stuff he said, it's like, this is not the place to do this. New York will eat you alive. Uh-huh. And you know this, so why are you even commenting? I mean, we know that he, he doesn't like speaking to the media. We know he's posted on Instagram about it. Why are you rapping on Instagram? Yeah, like why are you making yourself such a target for this? Because the media is going to rip you apart. And, and you know that at some point he's going to sit there and, and kind of be moaning, "Oh, why is the media doing this to me? Doing that to me? You know, I'm just trying to play. I'm just trying to do that, dude. You opened it up to yourself. Yeah, you just completely gave him, uh, you know." Seeds to plant. It, it, it's mm-hmm. the it's the kid in, in middle school, high school that got in trouble for throwing a paper ball at the back of the teacher's forehead. And when the teacher turns around and sees him throw it, the kid looks at the teacher and goes, "What? What did I do?" Yeah, this is just something that is just waiting to explode. And then, let alone if the, he's still even mentioned about James Harden and about what's going on there. Like, look, there's no way James Harden is coming to Brooklyn because they're not going to move the pieces to go get Also, right. they just can't get the money to work. Yeah, it's just not going to happen. I don't care what secret games they're playing in L.A. together. It doesn't matter. It's not going down. Correct. If, if, if anything, Harden's going to the East, it'll be to Philly or the Knicks because the Knicks will do something crazy. Get, I mean, I, why I not? I, but I can't see him playing with Thibodeau. I just I can't see that player coach happening. I mean, I think at this point Thibodeau is – willing to take on I think you know you have to evolve you know and I mean I don't think that they would have brought him back had they not seen that he was willing to take on that kind of challenge uh but yeah Philly is the is the front runner it makes the most sense you know you you compare Ben Simmons you know in the trade uh so you can split up that dichotomy which is also you know an unraveling um bit you can oh it's just a mess yeah and you can get Doc Rivers you know a budding superstar that he's always had you yeah, know, sure. and built and been, done very well on building apart, uh, building around. Um, so yeah, I think Philly is just—it's the obvious play. I mean, it would make the most sense if Houston wants to do it, and obviously the move they did with Westbrook for John Wall—it's a lateral move. There's nothing right to well, ram about that one. But that's also where I think the problem comes from trading for him is because you have John Wall, who is a point first point guard, you know, not a scoring first point guard. Um, so it will be difficult to pair him with Ben Simmons because Ben Simmons is just not an elite scorer. Yeah. You know, I mean, John Wall is going to be able to get James Harden the ball and, and be successful because they're not going to run the same offense. It's not going to be the high pick and rolls. You know, you're going to see James Harden come off some pin screens and some down screens and, and curls and stuff. So, um, yeah, it will be – I think John Wall is the right fit for that offense versus a Russell Westbrook. It's just, you know, you make that – if you make that trade for James Harden for him – you know, now you limit your ability to score. You've got two, you know, ball dominant type point forward slash point guards on your on the court, which we've seen just doesn't work, especially mm-hmm. when one can't score. So uh, now, you know, with that John Wall trade, they've almost backed themselves into a corner. That's why, I mean, I know we just threw that. I know you threw it out there just for fun and games, but the Knicks are, are honestly make the most sense. You know, I mean, they can throw in the Dallas picks. They still have their pick. You know, you can probably put in, uh, you know, Kevin Knox, Frank, probably going to have to put in a Mitch Robinson, um, you know, and probably a Julian Randall to make the salary work um, and, and make that trade. But, I mean, a lineup of, you know, Dennis Smith Jr. or Alfred Payton with James Harden, RJ, 
uh, Obi Toppin and, you know, I guess Nerlens Noel, you know, will be serviceable for a year until next year when they can go out and get new pieces. Well, that's really going to be the issue they're going to have to come up with for the Knicks. I mean, anything right now is just speculation. But it, it's all, yeah, it's all. But pure. but in comparison to what you have over in Brooklyn, they're actually looking in decent shape for the sense of that locker room isn't going to implode. Dude, it, the it, Knicks it, are going to be in for a long fucking season. Well, it's going to be a long season, but I'm at least saying in comparison, if the Nets go, what, 5-5 five and five to start out the gate? Or is the la- is the dam going to break and the levy going to just completely snap? I mean, it could, if for no other reason than the, the national media will be like, oh, what's going on with the, the Brooklyn Nets? Because, let's face it, they brought in KD, they brought in Kyrie. The, f- the fucking New York market's going to eat them alive. Well, that's what I'm, I'm saying. I don't know. So, yes, the New York media will get on them, but I think if they start 5-5, five and five, because history shows these teams especially um, – you know that have you know because COVID. I mean, yeah, this is sure. this is going to be an interesting basketball season. So I think if they start five and five and they're a little bit slower, you're going to see the media get on them. But I don't think it's going to be the level that it normally would because no. of the fact yeah. that it's abbreviated camp. Uh, preseason games are heavy. Everybody's going to be on load management. Yeah, the schedule is going to be heavy. So I think if they you know start out five and five, yeah, it's going to be you know hey what's what's going on you know why such a slow start. But I don't think it's going to be like the the hammering like it could have been yeah. had it been a normal season where we would have been in October like when Miami started that slow right. out the gate when right. everybody was like oh my god you know lambasting them. It's like it's not going to be the same. It's definitely not going to be the same as the season kicks off one week from today. Mm-hmm. So a lot of storylines going into that. So let us know what you think. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts about Giannis resigning? What is your thoughts about Kyrie Irving's interview? Is it that big of a deal? Are we pushing the panic button a little too much, or are we spot on with the comments? His interview or lack thereof. Yes. So let us have that conversation. Hit us up on the social media accounts. You can find it at ochoduroparleyhour.com. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Sunny Hepburn. And I'm Brandy Fleets. And we're from Book, Book of Lies, the podcast where we discuss liars, cheats, and thieves, scammers, and dirty, rotten scoundrels. You can tune in for new episodes every Tuesday to hear about another lowdown, dirty liar. And learn how to spot them. So that's Book of Lies Podcast. You can connect with us on social media, Twitter at Book of Lies Pod, Facebook, and Instagram at Book of Lies Podcast. Bye! Hey, this is Brian Wolf from Fair City Fire. You are listening to ODPH, the greatest podcast in Binghamton. Woo! back for another segment here on the ODPH podcast and time to talk a little wrestling. Wrestling. Now this coming Sunday Mm -hmm. is the WWE's TLC pay-per-view that Mm -hmm. you can find on the WWE Network. Kickoff time 7 p.m. Eastern Standard. 
So this is going to be the final quote-unquote pay-per-view event of 2020. And Pad is going to read off the matches. We will give you our predictions. So we are going to be talking possible spoilers for mm-hmm. WWE TLC. Yeah, so in no particular order, just reading top to bottom, or bottom to top, I should say, from the article I'm reading on CBSSports.com. Uh, for the United States Championship, you have Bobby Lashley taking on uh, Riddle. Now, this has been a little fun feud. Albeit, though, what they're doing with Matt Riddle is they're completely living up the bro gimmick. <laughs> Real heavy. Yeah. Real heavy. The, the bronouns. Bronouns, bronuts. Um, and he's been trying to pitch business ideas to MVP, the head of the Hurt Business. And now this is kind of ran into a feud where Riddle is now going to be facing Bobby Lashley for the U.S. title. Yeah. Sure. How are we feeling about this? Uh, I'm feeling like this should be a squash match for Lashley. I God, I hope not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I know Riddle's not going to get the win here, but no. I would like some sort of schmaz finish where, you know, they protect Riddle uh, and still can put, you know, Lash or, yeah, Lashley or MVP over until, you know, the next pay-per-view. Yeah, this one I think is going to be Lashley winning, but I think that you'll see um, a good competition, shall we say. Because Riddle obviously has been slowly fighting with the Hurt Business. I know he had the match uh, this past Monday. And definitely we're starting to see the Hurt Business really start to take off now. I Mm -hmm. think it's been one of the strongest factions on Raw. And now that they're getting some chance to shine, I think that Lashley is eventually going to be moving on for that world title. Could be. Which, I mean, I never thought I'd say at the beginning of the year. But, man, we have definitely stepped it up for him. So I wouldn't doubt seeing Lashley win, but it's going to be a close match setting up for a possible rematch. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, next up for the SmackDown Tag Team Championships, you have the Street Profits defending their belts against Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode. Yeah, so this is definitely pre-match. Uh, pre-show. Pre-show. Uh, and this one should be a, a fun feud. Yeah. I mean, they've been kind of t- uh, building this up a little bit for the uh, show on SmackDown. And obviously the tag, team in, uh, tag teams in WWE have not been getting the proper due. Yeah. No, this is true. So this one, though, I think is Street Profits all day. Yeah. Sure, should be it should be street profits. You would figure. Yeah, this one, like I say, could be some fun. I think it's going to be a good match, but I think this would be street profits. And like I said, I'm fully banking that it's going to yep. kick off the pre-show. Yeah, probably. Uh, next up for the Raw Tag Team Championship, you have the New Day taking on the Hurt Business. Coach, your thoughts? New Day? Yeah, not New Day. Like I, I foresee this being a feud going on for a couple months, maybe lasting until what's the next big one? Royal Rumble. Yeah, you know, maybe building up until Royal Rumble, where you might have a belt changed. You know, but last show and the last pay per view end of the year, I just don't see Hurt Business winning. But but I expect there to be some sort of you know some sort of shenanigans where Hurt Business tries and win. But you know, New Day being the fact they're like a hundred and two time you know tag team champs or whatever they are, that like oh they'll be able to see through it and get around it. I'm going in new. Ooh, okay. And here is my philosophy why. Like I said, the Hurt Business has been the best faction on Monday Night Raw the entire year of 2020. The only thing that every great faction does that they have not done yet is have all the belts at once. <laughs> okay. I mean, if you think about it. Yeah. I, I mean, mean I, you go back through history. I mean, outside of the nation and domination. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. yeah, nation should have had the belts. They didn't. But this is where I think... The hurt business is going to make that make that climb, so to speak, uh-huh. because I think Lashley does retain. But I think that Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin are going to take this, and I think this is going to be a possible match of the night. Could be. They've already faced off before on Raw, and it was a phenomenal match. I think you're going to see that same chemistry here, but I think that finally the hurt business breaks through, gets the belts, and then it's going to be okay. Where are we going to go for next? 
Yeah. But I'm down for this. I think it's going to be a possible match of the night. Yeah. Uh, next up for the Women's Tag Team Championship, you have Nia Jax and Shanna Baszler defending against Asuka. And, uh, well, to be determined, uh, as we all know, Lana has been partnering with Asuka the last couple of weeks, you know, much to the torment of, of Nia Jax and Shanna Baszler because they've been putting Lana through a table for, like, three months or something crazy like that. Nine weeks. Yeah, nine weeks in a row. Uh, you know, Lana managed a victory against, uh, what was it, Nia Jax on mm-hmm. Monday Night Raw last night. As a result, uh, Lana was attacked and was, you know, but now she's uh, been removed from the match. And according to reports, uh, especially from uh, uh, PW Insider, is reporting that the word coming out of Raw is that she's expected to be off TV for as long as three to four weeks. So now we have a situation where uh, Asuka's challenging for the tag team championships. And while normally I would say Asuka can do it by herself, uh, she does need a tag team partner. And we've yet to find out who that is. Coach, your thoughts? I can't wait for this match to be over. Yeah. Really? I just I'm sorry. I love Oscar. I just, you know, I'm not high on Blazer. Yeah, I know you're not. And I'm really not high on Nia Jax. Yeah. So I I mean, the tag partner, obviously Charlotte is set to return at some point here. Yeah. So yeah. that's a rumor. Uh, I don't really see them using one of the girls from XT because no. I mean, they're all kind of tied up in obviously um you know, in feuds there themselves, so I don't really see like a real Ripley no. coming up here. No. So uh I mean Charlotte really feels like the only candidate unless Alana all of a sudden miraculously just limps down to get some more baby face cred and, and tries to gut it out. Has Billy Kay joined one of the brands yet? She's on SmackDown. Okay. Uh no so I I was kind of not already not looking forward to this match just because the love affair that the creative team has with Lana, you know, and if you think otherwise, please try and prove me wrong. Mm. You know, the, the love affair that creative has had with Lana to give her this, you know, rags to riches story, you know, was evident. And I think it was to me, at least it was blatantly obvious that given Lana's fluke wins the last couple of weeks, you know, they were going to give the belts to the Oscar and Lana. Now, now, given the fact that Lana is now off the card and out for at least the next month, who the hell knows what's going to happen with this 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 matchup between Shane and Oscar? I think it's going to be very good. I like. I'm winning the same boat with Coach. I do not like Nia Jax. I do. You know, she's very dangerous. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of her. So, you know, I, like Coach, I'm just excited for this to be over because the belts will probably will not change. Yeah, that spot with uh, Lana's leg last night, I was legitimately holding my breath because. The way Shayna was holding the leg at that angle, mm. I was like, if she jumps just an inch to the left mm-hmm. and actually lands on her knee, she will tear her ACL. Completely. Like, I was literally holding my breath, gasping like, <gasps> please, <gasps> please, every time she dropped the knee. And then, fi- you know, luckily she she walked out of there okay. Yeah. But I was scared. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I am not a fan of Team Hell No 2.0. Yeah. I don't even give them that. Don't, don't, because I can don't. Yeah, because I'm sorry. Don't put them in the same as team. But, but that's why I, every time I see them together, like Nia and, and Shayna, that's what it reminds me of. No, because, because team I, hell no was great. See, but, but that's <laughs> like, why I, I. But that's how it all came together for this team. But that's why I'm like I'm hoping they lose. That's like so saying they break it up. Scott Mitchell from Detroit was close to Joe Montana. Like you can't do that comparison. Oh, that's bad. Yeah, that's bad. That, that's what you did. That's you right now. No, but I still make that for the storyline purpose. No. Yeah. But that all being said, Asuka, we'll do this locks and leaps style. I think the lock is going to be 
Lana comes out there and just solidifies. That's the whole what I'm thing saying. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah she's yeah, gonna things. limp her way down. Yep. The leap, though, I will say is gonna be Charlotte. Okay. Or I don't know. Um, Kyrie Sane made a kind of a weird tweet that she said like believe or something like that variation hmm. today. Okay. Hmm. I'm not saying she's gonna be there. Right. But. If they want to do just like a one-time band-aid, right. like she's she happens to be yeah. here, yeah. right? Because as far as I know, she's not. Um, that would be something else too. Because hmm. I I just think as as long as it's a big name, and if they want to take the belts off Nia and Shayna and finally have them feud, like let's do this already. Because right. they're not doing anything with those tag team belts that are actually worthwhile. Fair. Yeah. So okay. I'd rather see new champs. So I'll say and new no matter what. Yep. Uh, next up, you have the Fiend Bray Wyatt taking on Randy Orton, and Randy Orton still likes to light Bray Wyatt's shit on fire. <laughs> yeah. God damn. Yeah, this feud. Um, Can it be over, please? I, yeah, it's bad. <laughs> yeah, this is not. Let's drag up a story from 2017. Yeah, and just let it run with it. Yeah, yeah. Like I understand they don't have anything for Randy because every all the chips were in them for him and Edge. Yep. So now we're kind of fluctuating in this. All right, we're going to have him go against Bray. And I was saying you don't know what to do with Bray in that you don't know who to put him up against. Well, the thing is they're trying to make Bray face. Yeah. Right, which is dumb. Well, yeah, yeah. He's not a yeah. face. Like, I'm sorry, this isn't one of those situations like where the Undertaker turned face after all those times. Sure. Right, but, like, the Undertaker face was, like, different because, like, he was just such a beloved, you know, type character yeah. that, like, you could put him up against, like, a, a Kane or, like, that just – bastardly you know Shawn michaels and it worked you know yeah. like it doesn't work when you come out in a menacing mask right and you wear all this like dark eerie clothing and like no bray you is, know, bray yeah. is much better as a heel yeah so the the fact that like we're still having this i'm hoping orton wins unpopular opinion the firefly funhouse has been a dud since it went to raw no, I agree with you. Yeah. Okay. It's been boring. Also, the, only, the only thing I like about the Bray Wyatt stuff is, again, whatever the hell is going on between him and Alexa Bliss. Gets that, her on TV. Yeah, I mean, that's a yeah. <laughs> if, if, if anybody is doing anything well with this, it's Alexa Bliss. Oh, yeah, it's what the hell is going on. Yeah, which I think has been a much-needed refresh for yeah. her character, yeah. so I'm okay with that. Like, yeah. I have no issue. But I just I agree with you. It's like this whole thing is just kind of a mess. The fact we're you know bringing back up the 2017 feud, which was just bad to begin mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm it's still not moving the needle, and I'm just kind of hoping that, okay, if Randy wins, then I'll put him in position to go against Edge, who I think is due back very, very soon. So I think I've read a couple times he's been backstage at Raw. Yeah, it's just they haven't brought him out yet, which, I mean, if they want to wait for him to come out for the Royal Rumble, sure. And I think that's Do where that we go that twice in a row. Yeah, so we'll go with that. And you know what? It'll be fine, though. Yeah. Uh, next up for the SmackDown Women's Championship, you have uh, Sasha Banks defending her belt against Carmella. Okay. I, I will jump in first for this one. All right. Carmella's new gimmick is Emelina 2.0. Yep. Just they decided to pull the trigger on it a lot faster than they did Emelina. Yes. It's not getting over. No. no. I'm sorry. In fact, if anything, you're kind of just rehashing the same old same. Asuka, or I mean, sorry, Sasha has been doing amazing work on SmackDown. Mm-hmm. Might be wrestler of the year. And I mean that for both men and and women. Yeah. She, Except no way that will happen. But yeah, it should. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. Like she is, she's been the top performer of the year. So like her and Oscar, like I say, is a one-two right there. Yeah, but does she have any seven-star matches? Uh, in, in the uh, Tokyo Dome. In my book, yes. Uh, but for some of our other friends, no, not necessarily. But that all being said, I Oscar or I keep saying Oscar because I mean I always see Oscar and, and Shayna or Sasha feuding. Yeah. 
I think this is Sasha's to win. I think yeah. that she's going to have another great. She'll, she'll she will carry Carmella to a great match. Yeah. Like uh, this isn't going to be a five star, but this yeah. will be good. Yeah, no, I'm in the same boat as you. Like I, I'm, I don't care for the Carmella gimmick that's currently going on. The only part I enjoy about it is whenever she comes out and Corey, uh, Corey start, uh, Corey Graves starts stumbling over his words <laughs> and can't get a goddamn sentence out. It, it's just funny to me. I, you know, I get why he's doing it. They're dating. You know, they have a podcast together, you know, so I, I get, you know, he's in love with her. I get it, but it, it's just funny to me. It, it's cute. Uh, well, okay, I, 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 think, I think, you know, I, the Sasha win the match. It should be a good match. I just hope that there's, like, a good portion where Corey Graves just zone, zones out and, and Michael just goes, Corey, you, Corey. What, what, what? Sorry, I was distracted. Yeah. No, I, I think so, too. I think that this, this should be an entertaining match. Uh, Sasha will carry her to a good match. And then hopefully we get somewhere with the Royal Rumble yeah. and start planting some seeds there. Yep. Uh, next up for the WWE Championship, you have Drew McIntyre defending his belt against AJ Styles in a TLC match. Coach, your thoughts on this? I I don't know. I just AJ Styles has been hovering around for so long. Mm-hmm. And the move to Raw, obviously, Paul Heyman on SmackDown, boo-hoo, mm-hmm. we don't like each other, whatever. Like, yeah. To throw – I just – it feels like a placeholder until they figure out what they want to do with Drew. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think the new I, – I mean, honestly, breaking up the club to me was a downfall of AJ Styles. Pairing him with this new heater doesn't really do anything for me because he's so green that they're not really using him in any way. Yeah, the new you bodyguard. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. so obviously, I think Drew's going to get over, and I think it's going to hopefully lead to some some sort of momentum for him going into you know Mania season. Uh, I think AJ's going to win the match, but I don't think he'll be walking out champion. Uh, I think you'll get a cash in from uh, Miz, and, and Miz, Ooh. and Miz will walk out. Ooh. And Miz will walk out okay. champion. I would love that. Let's say uh, we do have a history at TLC of uh, Money in the Bank getting cashed in. Well, it would make a lot of sense because I mean, obviously Drew McIntyre retaking the belt back has not really gotten a fair run. Yeah, I mean it's just tough because there's no crowds. Yeah. So you don't really know how well he's doing, even though I thought he's looked very strong. He's been their best baby face this entire year. Sure. I'll say that. Yeah, well, yeah. But for what they're doing with him and AJ, I think they set up the feud nicely. Albeit, though, they're tipping their hat too much with the whole Sheamus mm-hmm. uh, pairing now. So, yeah. you know, he's he's going to – we all know he's turning on McIntyre. Yep. Will it happen here because McIntyre didn't save him from AJ's beatdown because him and the bodyguard had him tied upside down and were hitting him with, with shots to the stomach with chairs? I mean, it could be something like that. I don't know if it'll happen, but I would like to see Drew hit a midair claymore on AJ when he's going into the phenomenal forearm. That could happen. That would be this. awesome. I think they're going to have a great match. Oh, yeah. No, it'll be good. Sure. Yeah. But I think, though, this is going to be Drew's to win, and I would love The Miz to come in and cash. I think he's going to wait, though. Yeah. I could see Royal Rumble. But, you could know, Pat, but Pat, I love the idea. So if, if the new bodyguard there uh, does what he does, be in the muscle, be in the heat. Yeah. And uh, take, and takes out Drew, even though I agree with Coach, he's he's way too fresh to the business, and he's he's just not ready for prime time. Yeah. Correct. I yep. th- I think that that'll be a problem though. But you know, a money in bank win will clear that up. Yep. And then lastly, for the Universal Championship, you have Roman Reigns defending his belt against Kevin Owens in a TLC match. I wonder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. No kidding. I mean, this is gonna. F- I'll, I'll say this. Kevin Owens can bump, and he can take some bumps. And this being a TLC match, this and, and is hard hitting and is brutal and vicious as Roman has been. This is gonna fucking hurt. Correct. Holy fuck. This will be brutal. Yeah. This will be those, painful. Those of you with weak constitutions, you might want to look away. I mean, this isn't gonna be Timothy Thatcher, Tommaso Ciampa. <laughs> no. But no. And this might not be Finn Balor versus Kyle O'Reilly. Which, if 
if the wrestling gods are good to us, we get that rematch Could next takeover. Well, because of Wednesday Night's implications. Yeah, maybe. Could possibly happen. Could be. But that all being said, though, Kevin Owens is now back in the title picture. Albeit, though, it does feel like a placeholder for Roman Reigns, who's doing the best work he's done in years. Christ, yeah. Correct. And I know that they're trying to maybe set up something with him and Daniel Bryan. I know it's been rumored. I didn't see official confirmation. He's rumored with Daniel Bryan. He's he's rumored with just about a lot of Yeah, I think there's everybody's been. Goldberg's been thrown in. I've seen Drew's name associated to it, so how the hell that happens. Right. But I think for Daniel Bryan, though, I could definitely see him taking on Roman next, because I know it's been rumored that he's going to have a match. Those those promos would be amazing. Yeah, he's going to have a a, a little program with Jey Uso uh, before the show, so that could get added to the pre-show. And I think they're going to slowly kind of set up for that for Royal Rumble between Roman and, and Daniel Bryan, which I'm I'm on board with. Let it happen. But this match, yeah, this is going to be Roman all day. It's going to be very brutal. Um, I'm excited to see it. I mean, in fact, this is going to be a TLC match too. You know Kevin Owens is going to do some crazy-ass bump. Yep. Yeah. He, something like, stupid. Yeah, I mean, remember at WrestleMania, he jumped off the pirate ship. Yeah. So, yeah. so I mean, he's willing to do whatever. <laughs> yeah, he'll definitely want to put it on the show to close out. So, this, like I say, overall, this should be a fun match. Uh, and Roman goes over, and then we go right to the road to WrestleMania. So, this is all going down Sunday, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the WWE Network. Exciting time for to be a wrestling fan right now, though, because they have a stacked NXT card this week. Holy yep. Christ, yeah. And obviously what's going on with AEW and Impact, still they're carrying on that, which I know I won't get into because I know there really, isn't, there really isn't anything to talk about with that yeah. this week. No, there's not. So good. Don't even. <laughs> All I'm going to say is if the idea for a match Nyla Rose pitched actually happens with Young Bucks and, and uh, Lucha Bros, with the trampolines outside the wrestling ring match, I will absolutely watch that fucking match. Yeah, she she pitched some kind of crazy idea between them, hybrid H two. What else? Uh, Why do they need trampolines? Like, what more do they need? It would just be flips all it's over the place. Fucking oh, see, I, I can sense I'm not, your, I'm not. I'm not. Nope. Move nope. on. No, we will move on because move we, on, we got to wrap up the show. But definitely, yes. we will talk some more wrestling with you on Twitter. So definitely hit us up at OD Parlay Hour, and you can find all our accounts right there in the profile. So definitely hit it up because we definitely have to talk about WWE TLC on there. Who's your predictions for winning, and what do you think about the card overall? Let's have that conversation, folks. Hit us up. Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Johnny Moose from Excite Wrestling, and you're listening to the ODPH. I didn't mess it up. I thought I would. Right now, back to the guys. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and we actually have a local minute news. Yeah, yeah. Break. The Binghamton Bulldogs are uh, back in action right now, getting gearing up for training camp. Uh, they recently had two tryouts locally in the area, uh, where they have selected, I believe, twenty invites to training camp that they are announcing slowly. Uh, on their Facebook page, so be on the lookout for that. I did see that Derek Hart is set to return, so exciting news. Uh, being able to return, you know, arguably one of the better players in the ABA last year. And uh, in news, they did announce a new head coach for the upcoming 2021 yeah. season. Uh, Dan Rathmull, who was uh, a player last year on the Bulldog team, has now uh, taken over the head coaching position. Uh, he is a former Windsor grad, so a local high school in the area, and actually serves as an assistant under uh, at Binghamton University. So he's still going to keep that role while maintaining his job now being the Bull- Binghamton Bulldogs head coach. So 
Uh, exciting news out of Bulldog Camp. You know, obviously, www.binghamtonbulldog.com. Or just keep an eye out on their Facebook as they slowly keep announcing players for tryouts. Yeah, definitely. They're adding to the team and obviously going to the new conference this year is going to be really fun to watch. Well, they're playing the ABA again. Oh, it's ABA. Uh, yeah, it's ABA because they, they were unable to schedule uh, games with travel. Oh, that's right. Yep. Oh, all right, so yep. my bad about that one. That's okay. Because oh, I, yep. I remember the hype going in. Yeah, yeah, it was a big deal. But unfortunately, you know, travel restrictions and everything, COVID, yeah, it is uh, you know, land, you know, kind of hurt their ability to get some of the games into the position where they felt comfortable traveling. So they're going to, uh, you know, rock one more year in the ABA, and hopefully, you know, this COVID thing goes away and, you know, we can get life back to normal and the Bulldogs can move on with their season. Time to get optimistic, folks. Yeah. Definitely. So more information, BinghamtonBulldogs.com. So let's round those bases and take it home. Uh, yeah, I got one thing to talk about. Uh, Conor McGregor did a good thing. Something I'm Yo, I, fuck Jake Paul. Yeah, yeah no, that, no, no, that's Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz wants to fight Jake Paul. Nate Diaz is a saint. For Yo, f- let's go. Nate Diaz wants to fight Jake Paul for free. <laughs> what a hero! Yeah, Nate yeah. Diaz, obviously Conor uh, rival. You know, uh, willing to take on this punk ass bitch. Who keeps calling him out? Now listen, he's tall, and I am not that tall. So would he be able to beat me in a fight? Maybe. I mean, he has millions no. of dollars for trainers. Listen, I've never boxed in my life, so he might have an edge. I mean, but I'm just saying, Nate Diaz, what a hero you are for taking on this peon that Connor has no business touching. But no, the, the good thing that Connor did do is there is a gym up in uh, County Laos in Ireland. Uh, the name of the gym is SBG uh, Portal. Port Tarlington, uh, where a couple days ago on Instagram they posted a photo, like a group photo of everyone who was at the gym working out, and said, "quote Tonight we close our doors in the gym for the last time. Unfortunately, we are forced to shut down our gym. Un- forced to shut our gym down. To say I'm heartbroken is an understatement. The COVID pandemic has been tough on us all, and we can no longer keep the gym going due to mounting re- uh, mounting rent bills during lockdowns. We just can't sustain. Uh, and that yeah. And then the uh, owner of the gym in an interview with ESPN told him said quote we've had three lockdowns now and i think after each lockdown it's hard to get the numbers same numbers back in people lose the routine and just our numbers were dropping every time there was a new lockdown we got deeper and deeper into debt our landlord wasn't giving us any break on the rent or anything like that we had to decide to shut the doors for good close quote and then they posted on their instagram page just two days later uh from the lowest low to the highest high we are not closing our teammate and friend Connor McGregor has decided to help us out and keep the gym running. We will be eternally grateful. Uh, the owner of the gym didn't ex- uh, disclose exactly how much Connor McGregor donated, but but he did say, "quote We don't have to worry f- uh, for the next year or two." Close quote. Uh, he went on to say, "I was nearly crying there. I didn't know what to say to him. To be honest, I'm forever grateful to him. He basically saved our little community." Words can't express what he's done for us. I know that he gets bad press. People don't report on it, but he does this stuff all the time. Connor is not looking for gratitude. He's not looking for the media to spread this around. Close My quote. hero. So good on Connor McGregor for goddamn yeah, right. Very good for Connor. goddamn right. Coming from Pad, not the highest of high Connor fans. Nope. Thank you. Yeah, you can't go wrong with that. That's no. a, that's a good story. So kudos to you, Mr. McGregor, about that one. I feel I feel like I should have let off because I don't think I'm going to be able to one up that. I'm just going to simply talk about the normal, simple things in life, which it's bowl season almost, baby, mm-hmm. and we've got conference championships coming up this weekend. Uh, we kick off with USC versus Oregon, oh. uh, Oregon, as my friend Rob would have me say. Uh, they are replacing Washington, oh. who, due to uh, a COVID outbreak on the team, were unable to uh, meet. 
the criteria to be able to play. So Oregon steps into that role to play USC, who right now flirting with a potential bowl bid uh, or national playoff uh, uh, potential uh, with a win and some teams losing. Uh, The early slate you have in the Big Ten, Ohio State playing Northwestern, obviously the Big Ten did the right thing, allowing Ohio State into this game as they should. The smart move for the conference. Um, and Northwestern, obviously the best team out of that side of the conference, so they're going to play them. Uh, the Big 12, uh, also kicking off at 12, you have Iowa State versus Oklahoma. Both teams have two losses, so I don't really see either one of them climbing the ranks into a playoff bid. But, you know, obviously the winner of that will get a nice bowl bid. And then in the SEC, um, you know, this game's the 8 o'clock game, but I'm going to talk about the main event in a second. Uh, you've got Alabama versus Florida. Ooh, yeah, uh, Florida, yeah, that will be fun. Unfortunately, Florida done did messed up last week, Ken, Uh-oh. with that loss. Yeah, no, that was a bad loss. I mean, that that's was a like, real bad loss. Yeah, that was a real garbage loss. Because LSU was terrible, and yeah. to lose that game is atrocious. And especially the shoe-throwing thing. Sure. That, yeah. But I do want to thank you because you all but guaranteed Notre Dame's spot You're into welcome. the playoffs. You're welcome. Thank you. Speaking of that, Notre Dame plays Clemson in the rematch, 4 o'clock. Uh, the ACC title game played in Charlotte. Notre Dame's first time playing for the ACC title. I said in the beginning of the year I how much I would love the fact if Notre Dame comes through and just wins the ACC title and then dips out of the conference the next year. So I'm full-fledged hoping for this game. Is my dream of an Ohio State-Notre Dame title oh, game Oh, it's very on? much in the lot. Yes. It's very much, very yes. much in the works. Yes. Uh, I mean, Notre Dame, obviously, right now, I feel like is a lock to get in. Uh, even if they have a bad beat to Clemson, I don't see any of these teams being able to show their body of work that Notre Dame has to jump them. Uh, Clemson obviously has some work to do because if they lose and Florida State and Florida does win against Alabama, does that push Florida above Clemson? I, one could argue. Um, so that will be difficult to see. Would a 6-0 and USC team with a strong performance against Oregon be able to jump up You know, almost nine positions to get into the playoffs? Pac-12 champion, arguably, you know, you could see it. But safe to say, Notre Dame, in, baby, and I'm very happy. Uh, this game is going to be uh, crazy. The Notre Dame defensive coordinator, uh, Clark Lee, was actually just named the head coach of Vanderbilt, his alma mater. He is going to be allowed to fulfill his duties to Notre Dame for the next you know, four, three games. So hopefully he's not too distracted because he's arguably one of the best defensive coordinators in the nation. And I'm just really hyped up, guys. I really I don't know what else to say. You gotta be a lot to be hyped up about. I I know the Florida loss was bad, and I was like, when, the minute I'm watching, I'm just like, what are you gonna do? The minute it happened, so I was at my uh, work Christmas party. Uh, had, we were unable to uh, no service at the place that we were at, so I didn't get to check. Uh, but the moment I did get service and saw, because I did, I was able to check and see the game was close at halftime. I, I jubilation is the key word here because yeah. I was absolutely. I mean, shocked, A, but also excited because I just I knew. I, I'll, uh, even if Nordame loses by 20, they, the body of work is there that shows that this team deserves to be in the playoffs. So, I mean, if they fall to four, they're obviously going to play Alabama, which is not ideal. Uh, I really don't want <laughs> I would If they beat Clemson and Clemson falls to four, then Ohio State would jump up to three. That would be your... Uh, Ohio State Notre Dame matchup would be a two three. I don't really see any way Notre Dame gets to one unless uh, Alabama loses. But that's 
very unlikely. You never know what's going to happen. Just the fact you get sure. invited to the dance, that's what matters. That's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, I, I mean, he, you know, Josh wants his Ohio State because my wife, Cause you know, versus Notre Dame. Because we need that for Twitch. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, unfortunately, I, it, it will probably be in the uh, semifinals and not the finals. Yeah. Well, we can't have nice things. No. No, 2020. 2020, folks. We'll just chalk it up to that. Yeah. So, for my base, though, I want to talk a little UFC action. Now, this past week was UFC 256, uh, the last pay-per-view scheduled event for the UFC for the calendar year. Uh, A couple quick takeaways. Kevin Holland. Mm -hmm. We talked about him on the show. Um, Maybe. I'm sure you have. Very briefly, because he won his fifth fight this year. Damn. Five fights, and he wants a sixth. Oh, get the fuck out. Before it's done. There's two weeks left in the year. I know, and I think there's only there's only one card left for the year, and that's next week. Right, and he's been or the, poli- no, maybe it's this weekend. He's been politicking for the the card this coming Saturday, the nineteenth. Oh, that's the last one of the year. The next one's in January. Right, Jesus Christ. He is asked uh, for one Chimeyev because Chimeyev is, is hanging out. There is no confirmation of this, but uh. I but I am here for this. But I applaud him because he has done. Five fights this year. And he wants to do a seven-day turnaround. Yeah. God damn. Yeah, he's absolutely crazy. He's a madman. He wound up knocking out Jacare Souza. Do we know if Donald Cerrone's okay? Has, like, Donald Cerrone died and his and his spirit is now in, in Holland? I think that Cerrone is inspiring the next generation of fighters because you're seeing guys like Chimeyev and Holland that are just like, give me my next fight, give me my next fight. Like, they're not being patient and waiting. So I am waiting to see if he gets penciled in. I don't think it's going to happen. Probably not. I think for his own health, he probably shouldn't. But, man, no. I salute you for five wins. And definitely a couple of them, man, were just standout wins. I mean, obviously he beat Anthony Hernandez to start the year in May. He took out uh, Joaquin Buckley, who did the crazy knockout kick flip. That um, I mean, that was one of Buckley's first fights in the UFC, too. Right. Uh, definitely stood there. And then, obviously, taking out Souza was a huge deal. But in the co-main event of this fight, though, was one that we had kind of circled a little bit. It was Charles Oliveira taking on Tony Ferguson. Mm -hmm. Now, this is the first time we've seen Ferguson come back since the whole Justin Gaethje uh, war he went through. And this one ended with Charles Oliveira getting the decision uh, in the uh, unanimous decision with this one. Uh, Nothing against Tony Ferguson, but it's like you survive a fight like that against Gaethje, which was five rounds of just brutal pounding. You sometimes don't come back. I always call it the Diego Sanchez uh, syndrome. Because you go through fights with Diego, you never came out the same way. Right. Same thing happened. And I think Ferguson, I don't know what he's got left in him for the UFC or his MMA career. I mean, I'd love to see him come back. But at this stage, he's not going to fight for a belt. So where does he go from here? Uh, On the flip side, Charles Charles Oliveira looked amazing. He definitely needs to be in that number one contendership talk for the lightweight title. Uh, I know there's a lot of uncertainty right now. Because I know that we're all kind of waiting to see what happens with Connor and Dustin Poirier next year. Right. It is rumored that Justin Gaethje is fighting Michael Chandler on the co-main. They have not made that official, but that could also be the two winners are going to fight each other for the belt. So who knows? Oliveira needs to be in that mix, though. Amazing performance Saturday night. And then in your main event for the flyweight title, DeFelci and Figueredo took on number one contender Brandon Moreno. Moreno just fought Brandon Royval, coach's favorite uh, flyweight, yeah, and won the number one contendership. Obviously, got the title shot, and this one possibly was fight of the year, guys. Amazing fight! Oh yeah, it was a majority draw though hmm. for Figueredo. Uh, the judges scored at 48, 46, 47, 47, 47, 47. Dana White has already said he's running this back. 
So I don't have a timetable when it's going to happen, but Dana was excited about this. I know the internet kind of exploded a little bit for the MMA world that they were definitely down to do it. Figueredo wants it back. So I'm excited to see what happens here. So definitely the UFC ended their pay-per-view stretch on a high note going into this weekend's fight night because now it's going to be back to a fight night with your main event, Jeff Neal, taking on Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Jose Aldo is taking on Marlon Vera in the co-main. So it should be a fun night of fights. I'm taking Thompson and I'm taking Vera for that. So definitely check it out on ESPN Plus wherever you watch your UFC action as well around the world. So let's get into locks and leaps and take a show home. Uh, yeah, starting with my lock. Uh, the God Christ, I can't pass this one up. I feel like I'm kicking a, kicking a person while they're down. Uh, the Rams are taking on the Jets. The Rams are 17-point favorites. I could see them getting that, maybe getting close, maybe exceeding that. We'll see. Uh, and then for my leap, I'll be honest, the leaps suck this week. Uh, but I saw this one and thought, yeah, I, I could see this happening. Uh, currently, the San Francisco 49ers are three-point favorites uh, at going on the road and playing Dallas. Uh, I think Dallas might be able to squeak that one out. You know, they've been playing well late. Amari Cooper been getting the ball. If they feed Zeke a little bit, uh, I think they should be able to pull that one out and win. Coach? My lock is going to be the Rams versus the Jets. Okay. I mean, you just yeah. low-hanging fruit. Yeah. You know, I mean, the yeah. Jets are a bad football team, yep. <laughs> and they got to travel out west again, so just tough. Uh, and then for my leap, I am actually going to go with the Bears over the Vikings. The uh, Bears. The oh, okay. Bears, you know, playing pretty good football right now. Trubitsky, you know, able to, uh, you know, they're able to establish the run a little bit, and I uh, like the Bears. Maserati Mitch. So for my lock... I'm jumping on the Baker bandwagon. Uh-oh. Fuck Cleveland you. is. How Uh-oh. fucking dare you? Uh-oh. Three and a half point favorites. Give it to me. I'm fucking changing mine now to the Broncos. Okay. I'm not really doing that, <laughs> but I want to. I know. I just want to anger Coach about this one. Look, I'm I'm looking at this. I agree with you. This is not a great week for picks. I'm, I'm going to be very honest with you. Too many double point favorites. Yeah. I, that scares me looking at this. So, uh, for me, though, I think Cleveland, let's see if they're a real deal. And the Giants... If uh, the Messiah is not ready to run, this could be a long day. Wait, Seth Rollins plays for the Giants? Cole McCoy will be just serviceable. Hopefully Cole McCoy will be in there, but I could definitely see the Browns wanting to send a message to Freddie Kitchens. So I think that there might be a little um, uh, added incentive for this game. So that's it. I like them there. Or maybe the Giants rally for Kitchens. Hmm? (laughs) No, I don't think so. And then for my leap, I'm going with those Redskins. Who are six and a half or six point dogs? Uh, you are doing Seattle. me fucking real dirty right now, homie. You had to bring a Florida. Real dirty. You had to bring a Florida. Uh, dude, I just said I said thank you. Yeah, I wasn't even a dick. I said <laughs> thanks. I the just, audacity. <laughs> I said thank you. I'm just saying that's how I'm seeing it. Well, this good. Week. Now I'm glad Florida lost, and I hope they lose even better, worse to Bama. I'm just here so I don't get fined. <laughs> Roll Tide. Oh, wash your mouth out with that soap. Roll Tide. <laughs> you said that as a Notre Dame fan. I just want to point that out. I, I said it right now. What Alabama does not affect Notre Dame, but they do affect Florida. But but your hatred for Alabama, though. I th- I think he now roots for two. Roll Tide. I think he now roots for two teams: uh, Notre Dame and anyone who beats Florida. Right now, currently. Right now, because I've anger coach. <laughs> It'll be a long Twitter week, folks. So definitely join the conversation on social media because the music you heard on this episode of the ODPH is that of Brian Wolf. 
Now, he is going to be doing some Patreon concerts on Wednesday, still going in through the holiday season. I forget what he has set up. This week is going to be all Bruce, Bruce, Springsteen. Spring, Bruce Springsteen. It's all Bruce Springsteen covers. And then the following week is all holiday music. Oh, so, okay. So if you want to check out what Brian's doing, and you should because he's an amazing musician, head on over to WearPad. Uh, Ocho Duro, ParleyHour.com. That's right. Hit up the music section. You can check out everything Brian's got going on there. You can also check out Second Suitor, who just put out a video for uh, the song Sprinkles, mm-hmm. which is very fitting if you're living in the Northeast for what's coming tomorrow. Fuck that noise. Yes. Well, so, tomorrow night. Well, yeah. 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 But it's going to be a bad one, so definitely Sprinkles might get you through it. So the YouTube video is up there as well. And also you can check out links to uh, Tom Jolu. You can check out what's going on with Floodlands, Shout of the Robots, all the amazing music you hear on the ODPH. Also there, you can check out the directory, which has Friends of the Show, Organizational Links, Support, and Black Lives Matter. All the amazing pod groups we are in via their Podchaser pages, because I say it once, I say it again. If you're not on Podchaser, you're not in a pod group. Enough said. So shout out to Pod Nation. Shout out to Legion Independent Podcast. Shout out to Alternate Reality Radio. Shout out to the Apocalypse. And of course, shout out to Hashtag 607 Podcast and our friends over at 8122 Productions, Rich Ron, Mike C, and Hashtag Big Natty Cool, still on Twitter pad. Oh, boy. Who has something lined up uh, for their Patreon. I can't even get into. I was uh, privy to some information. I'm just going to keep it to myself. If you want to find out what's going on, $1 gets in the door, $3 gets you comfy seat at the table, patreon.com slash 8122 Productions. All of that plus our T Public store is now live, so you can definitely check that out at ochodoroparleyhour.com. So much more is going on, so definitely swing by the web, by the web page and check it out. That's all I got for this week. Come on, breath. So for your coach, my coach, the coach, Coach Duffy. Good night and good luck. For the one and only Padawan J. Go Army, beat Air Force. I'm your host, Ken M. Go Bills. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parley Hour. See you next time.